Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of May 25th, 2023, including... PlayStation held their big showcase this week with tons of news that means a lot for Xbox fans. Bungie have announced their first game since Destiny, which has been almost a decade since they've announced a new game. A new interview revealed why Square Enix keeps passing up on Xbox, and more. So he says, and he says like this, uh, you know, pizza is like sex. I've never had it. Oh, hey. Hey, guys. Welcome to Xbox On. Uh, oh, <laughs> I didn't know that we were recording. Uh, yeah, this day in Xbox history, Biomutant released on Xbox One in the year 2021. That was two years ago. Uh, Biomutant uh, looks like not-so-cute Rocket Raccoon running around a, uh, a realistic Monster Hunter world. Don't love the art style, but people say it's... a pretty okay solid game so happy second year anniversary biomutant okay what were we talking about yeah it's xbox on guys hey welcome to the week of uh, episode 208 may 25th xbox on it's a big week for playstation and there by uh you know by, by proxy it's a big week for xbox because when there's news for one of the big guys there's you know there's inevitably some uh fallout news that then relates to them not Fallout the video game but you know you know so, some some things that are playstation news are also xbox news which we will get into this week tons of it actually um no it's pretty pretty good week i feel like for the next including today the next three weeks of podcasts we've got some fun stuff to talk about because finally after a long long drought of news we're finally getting some really like high level hype show game showcase not like these little fucking nintendo directs that are hit or miss not these, you know, just little uh, announcements here or there, random Jeff Keighley events. I'm talking about the classic E3-style big showcase events where one of the big names, PlayStation, Xbox, whatever, kind of blows its wad and tells you all the things it's got going on. So it's fun because this week we get to talk about all the stuff PlayStation talked about that's relevant to Xbox, which there's maybe more than you'd think. And then next week is the calm before the storm for Xbox because it's the week before Xbox has their big showcase and so for next week's episode, we'll actually be doing a uh, predictions, uh, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a second here. And then the week after that, Xbox's big showcase. So then we can talk about all the new things happening for the world of Xbox for the next 12 months. God knows Xbox really needs a kind of reset on the uh, on the image and the expectation of where their brand is headed in the next year. So this will be a good opportunity for Xbox to maybe get some uh, get some goodwill and, and win over some people's hearts and, and minds yet again. But anyway, guys, welcome to the show let's start off with the normal run of segments let's not you know get too far ahead of ourselves starting out this week with the notable game releases coming out first one here is um planet of lana 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 it's a uh, actually it's a play anywhere game pass day one xbox series sx pc whatever game uh published by thunderful publishing this game's actually getting a lot of attention it is a uh cinematic puzzle adventure kind of one of those like atmospheric yeah kind of cinematic indie darling looking titles 
Um, it's it's getting some decent attention. People seem to be pretty into it. Um, so I don't I haven't really seen much more than a trailer and just some some buzz surrounding it. But it's something I might download this weekend, just give a go for thirty minutes, just to see if it's anything I'm interested in. But yeah, Planet of Alana. That's a uh, you know it is otherwise pretty slow time. Maybe something worth checking out. Plus, hey, it's on Game Pass. What do you got to lose? Uh, next up, speaking of games, I'm excited for Bolt Gun Warhammer 40k Bolt Gun comes out this week. It's actually out as of the time I'm already recording this. Uh, this is really cool. It kind of came out of nowhere actually, but published by Focus Entertainment. Uh, I forget the name of the publisher or the developer. Probably should have written that down. Uh, but this is basically a Warhammer first-person shooter game. But it's kind of like a like a Doom inspired kind of clone. It has like that Doom aesthetic, uh, kind of like God. What was that other game that came out last year that everyone loved? That I totally am blanking on the name of. But you know what I'm talking about. It's got like that kind of like it's 3D first person shooter, but they try to make it look like that pixely early PC first person shooter era Doom style, uh, the boomer shooter, 90s retro shooter, whatever the fucking genre is called these days. But yeah, it looks pretty cool. It's a Warhammer 40k game and. It, um, Apparently it's pretty it's pretty decent. A lot of people seem to be really into it. It's available now for twenty bucks. Just came out. Nice little uh, weekend game. Seems like if you're a first person shooter fan, a Doom fan, a Warhammer fan, seems like there's a lot of audience this game could capture for a pretty you know nice little tight affordable weekend title. So that game looks pretty good. And then finally, um, Lord of the Rings Gollum. The, actually, the, the biggest game releasing this week, but also the game I'm least interested in. Uh, for $60, so not the full normal, modern $70 price tag, but $60 full, you know, R- Lord of the Rings release. Um, pr- 12 by Dalek and, uh, you know, available this week for Series X and S. Smart delivery title, the whole nine. Um, it is available as of Friday. It goes live, or Thursday. The day this podcast goes live. So, yeah, we've been talking about this game for a little while. I I just have, I'll be honest, you can tell by the way I'm, I'm sounding right now, just no interest, no enthusiasm whatsoever for this game. But obviously, Lord of the Rings is a huge IP. It is a huge thing for a lot of people. And so, uh, nonetheless, yeah, you know, you can assume a lot of people will be interested. But it does, it has a weird energy. This, this game kind of looks and feels to me like, the game for Gollum, like that Lord of the Rings the Hobbit game that came out on like OG Xbox back in like 2004. Uh, it kind of reminds me of that where it's like, it's not like super cartoony, but it's like just a little on the cartoony side. And it's just like this, I don't know, it's not necessarily like the thing people think of when they, when when you're like, hey, you want a Lord of the Rings game? It's like, yeah, I want to crawl around on all fours as Gollum and sneak around people in the fantastical world of Middle Earth. I don't know. But nonetheless, I'm sure... The game is probably somewhat decent. I haven't heard really anything about it yet, but maybe we can talk about that next week, depending on how things go with the launch. But yeah, Lord of the Rings Gollum is out this week. So that's it for our new game releases. Real quick on the Activision update front, really nothing to say other than Microsoft, after talking, talking about it, saying that they will appeal the British CMA's um, shooting down of the Activision acquisition. Microsoft has formally and officially uh, lodged their appeal against the UK antitrust regulator to kind of be like, hey, you need to reassess this. Everybody else has, has passed on the deal. You guys need to, you know, look, look. we did all these things. We addressed your concerns. Can we get can we get your blessing now, you British bean eaters? And so we'll have to see where that goes. But, yeah, so let me, before we get into the mild amusement stories and into the proper news and talk all about the PlayStation event and all the stories that are relevant to Xbox, I do want to say, so Xbox's big showcase is on June 11th. June 11th, the afternoon, Sunday, June 11th, 1 p.m. Eastern time. 
And uh, obviously that's the, the kind of big thing that everyone in the Xbox community is looking forward to and waiting for. So here's what I, I just kind of want to like, here's the layout as we're about two weeks out from the next podcast where we get to talk about everything that's announced at this event. Um, next week's show, what we will be doing, because I assume otherwise it's going to be a pretty slow news week. That's generally how these things go right before a big event. Uh, next week, what we'll be doing is a predictions showcase. So like we we're, I'm, I'm going to come to the table with all my big predictions. A lot of podcasts do this. I think it's a lot of fun to listen to these kinds of things. So I figured, why don't we do this? So I'm going to come, I'm going to come to the podcast with a bunch of predictions as to what I think may happen or games we might see or things, you know, what, sorry, or, you know, whatever big announcements might be made at the event. And then that way we can kind of get all hyped and excited and just hype, you know, hypothesize about what, what all is going to go down. And then the next week, when the showcase actually happens, we can kind of go back and be like, okay, here were my predictions. Here's what I thought. Here's what actually happened. Did I get anything right? It'll, it'll be a lot of fun. But the reason I bring that up, not only to just to tease next week's episode is because of course, the, the magic, the secret sauce of Xbox on is people who interact with and participate in the show. So, so I'm going to ask you guys, the audience to write in this week with your predictions so that next week when I do the show, I can read your predictions. I can have my predictions and can kind of be like a more communal interactive sort of thing. I think it should be a lot of fun. Uh, should we get some write-ins? So yeah, we'll talk about more when we get to the comments at the end of today's show, but yeah, go to youtube.com Xbox on podcast, click on this week's episode and drop your comments below. Uh, let me know what you think will be happening. You can guess what kind of games will be announced release dates that might happen, uh, special things that, that might, you know, like fucking forts a car on stage or Phil Spencer's going to say this line, what, whatever it is, give me as, as serious or goofy or grounded or unrealistic as humanly possible. Just have fun with it. And I think it should make for a pretty interesting, uh, conversation for next week. So not only that, one last one last note as pertains to the Xbox showcase happening on June 11th. Um, since it is a Sunday, God bless Xbox. They always do their big showcases on a Sunday. Thank you, Lord. And now that I don't work in restaurants anymore and I have a normal Monday through Friday uh, schedule, I'll be available that day. So what I'm going to do is go to my now long dormant Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. And I'm going to be streaming live streaming um, the, the showcase. So if that sounds like something that might be interesting to you, like blow your Sunday afternoon, hanging out with me on twitch.tv and uh, watching the Xbox showcase together. I feel like that, that could be a fun little community thing. So, I'll link that in the uh, in the description of the podcast. But twitch.tv slash lightning extreme, June 11th, 1 p.m. Eastern time, Xbox Showcase. We'll be streaming it, reacting all together. We can have some fun conversation, poke fun at whatever shirt Phil Spencer's wearing or um, whatever uh, games they don't announce or CG trailers they show with no gameplay. Whatever the case may be, um, I feel like it should be a pretty fun time. So that is that. With all this out of the way, we can get back into the normal show. No more plug-in, no more pimping, no more road mapping. Let's just talk about the mildly amusing stories of the week, updates, things of that nature. So this one was a quick update right after last week's show. This information happened, but we knew that was the case because it was already planned for last Thursday. So we knew we'd be late to this story. But real quick update from Mortal Kombat 1. The game's officially announced. It was revealed. It was shown. WB showed it off last Thursday. So after lots of leaks, teases, everything, 
the game was shown off with an official trailer and release date. It will be coming to Xbox Series S, X, and PC on September 19th, 2023. That's right, no Xbox One support. This is a fully next-gen game. However, they do have other teams working on a Switch port of the game. But but NetherRealms, the proper developer of Mortal Kombat, will be making the game exclusively for next-gen hardware. Yeah, Warner Bros. said when they announced the game, quote, we will introduce a reborn Mortal Kombat universe that's been created by the fire god Liu Kang, featuring reimagined versions of the iconic characters as they never before have been seen. And the story mode promises an immersive cinematic narrative featuring unexpected twists on classic rivalries and going uh, in original backstories for a wide range of legendary characters like Liu Kang, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, Raiden, uh, Kung Lao, Katana, Molina, Shang Tsung, Johnny Cage, and many others. I recognize the majority of those names. Mortal Kombat 1 will also introduce cameo fighters, a unique roster of partner characters that the cast uh, that sorry that can assist during matches, uh, creating expanded gameplay possibilities to players. Apparently, according to some rumors, those cameo fighters are going to be like actual celebrities that they just throw into the game. So that should be weird. I hope Keanu Reeves makes the cut. But anyway, that's Mortal Kombat 1. I know a lot of people are making fun of it because they've had games called Mortal Kombat. They've had a game called Mortal Kombat 20. 20- 10 or something like that and now they have Mortal Kombat 1 so it's kind of like an Xbox versus Xbox 1 scenario where you got to you know differentiate but whatever every game hey, listen this is just how naming works in in today's world okay there's Modern Warfare 2 what are you talking about the game from 2009 or the game from 20, 2022 like what it's just normal okay so don't make a huge deal out of it let's just focus on the game we can't control how bad naming conventions are we can just control whether or not uh, we, we, we play the games that have the bad naming conventions. Duh. So anyway, the cinematic trailer they revealed, pretty bloody. I, I know that's like the shtick of Mortal Kombat, but like it was very gratuitous, this video. I was just like watching them like push their fucking thumbs through people's eyes and bleeding and just skulls smashing open. And not, not a really fun time watching that, but at the same time, like I was saying last week, there's something about Mortal Kombat where... I just want to like it. I liked the old movies back when I was a kid. I always had like a weird draw towards the games, even though I didn't have too much experience playing them. I played a little bit of the original ones on Sega Genesis, played a little bit of some of the Xbox 360 games, but never really got too into Mortal Kombat. Um, and then I, I liked the more recent movie they did too, but for some reason I just can't fully get into this this universe. For it, it, It's the genre. Fighting games in general just don't do it for me, and you guys know, like I've been saying, I've been trying to open my mind expose myself to new genres like this, like fighting games, little by little. So this week, I I downloaded Mortal Kombat 11, which is on Game Pass, to try and give that a try, the more recent Mortal Kombat leading up to Mortal Kombat 1. And um, I played for like uh, four minutes and was like, yeah, no thanks, and then deleted the game and then was like, I'm probably not interested in Mortal Kombat 1. But I I wish, it's like the perfect example of like, one of those things where it's like, I wish I was into this. I want a reason to like this thing, but nope, it has, some things come with age, you know? There's like, you have that feeling, and then over time, you finally have an excuse to get into that thing. Mortal Kombat's one of those things, but I just never grew to that point in my life where I'm like, I officially like Mortal Kombat. Just It's never happened for me, so. It finally happened to me a few years ago with action movies. I finally reached a point in my life where I like dumb action movies, but now I'm waiting for the day where Mortal Kombat as a video game is appealing to me. But nope, just going to keep waiting on that. All right, let's talk about Grand Theft Auto real quick because Rockstar owner Take-Two, Rockstar developer of Grand Theft Auto, 
Owner Take-Two is forecasting a sharp jump in sales during its next fiscal year, driven by the release of several groundbreaking titles. For its current fiscal year ending in March 31st, 2024, the company is expecting net bookings in the range of $5.45 to $5.55 billion, up from $5.28 billion last year. Uh, But for its next quarter, from April 2024 to March 2025's next fiscal year, beginning next March, net bookings are expected to jump over $8 billion, an additional $3-plus billion in net bookings, which is a massive jump. So obviously, anyone who reads that immediately thinks, huh, it would take a pretty big game to make your, uh, you know, your revenue jump that catastrophically. So... Obviously, many people started wondering and asking the question. And in an interview with GamesIndustry.biz, uh, Strauss Zelnick, the CEO of Take Two, was non-committal when asked whether or not the eight billion dollar target could be reached without the release of maybe uh, Grand Theft Auto Six. So obviously, that's what people are assuming here is that if they think we're going to go from five and a half billion to maybe eight plus billion in one, you know, in one year. Uh, beginning in around the fiscal year of March 2024, that just tells you that, yeah, they think in in, in the fiscal year beginning March 2024, uh, that's probably the year where where Grand Theft Auto 6 is supposed to come out. So that would mean, and you, you assume Grand Theft Auto is a fall release, so that means Grand Theft Auto is probably internally right now planned to be a fall 2024 release. So we're about... A year plus out, you know, maybe 16 months away from Grand Theft Auto 6 is what that suggests. And listen, I I know, I understand. It's like, no, it's not confirmed. It would be wrong for me to just be like, yeah, this is definitely Grand Theft Auto 6. But guys, there is no other game, (laughs) especially not that Take-Two owns. You know, they, they have a new, we know they have that Cloud Chamber developer working on a new Bioshock. We know Ken Levine's team, what is it, Ghost Story or whatever, is working on Judas, that their their new uh, Bioshock-adjacent type game. Uh, we know they got, like, the fucking NBA 2K, all these. Listen, nothing against any of those games. There's nothing under Take-Two's belt that is going to move the needle even remotely as much as Grand Theft Auto. And we know they're not working on a new Red Dead Redemption. We know they're working on Grand Theft Auto. So that's the only other thing it would have been <laughs> would be a, a Red Dead. But we know they do the uh, the Bethesda-style alt- alternation of uh, GTA, then Red Dead, then GTA, then Red Dead. So this, as far as I'm concerned, this all but confirms that they are expecting Grand Theft Auto 6 to come out probably sometime next fall, at the very least within the 12-month window of... April 2024 to March 2025. So exciting, but uh, also another thing to keep in mind with with Rockstar, with, with Grand Theft Auto, is Grand Theft Auto games historically get announced a couple of months before they release. And Rockstar games in general do that, although Red Dead Redemption 2 kind of bucked the trend a little bit by announcing the game earlier, like a full year before, and then still getting delayed... I think they announced it a year in advance for a spring release, then it got delayed to the fall, something like that, right? Yeah, no, it got really, it got announced in like the fall of 2016 for the fall of 2017, and then got pushed back to the spring of 2018, then got pushed back again to the fall of 2018. That's what happened with Red Dead Redemption 2. I don't know why I remember that. That's weird. But I think uh, it's possible in that case that either Grand Theft Auto 6 gets I mean, possibly gets revealed at maybe Summer Game Fest this summer for next fall release. I don't know. That's possible. Um, Otherwise, they might just stick to the traditional GTA release cycle of uh, we will announce this 
two to four months before a game comes out. And you would think with, uh, especially with Red, or not Red Dead, but with GTA Online, GTA 5 Online being as big as it is, being as much of a moneymaker as it is, maybe you do want to have as, as short a window from announcement to a release just to kind of not draw attention away from GTA Online. But then again, maybe the imminent release of a GTA 6 would drive more people to GTA Online in anticipation, but it could go both ways. It's kind of a double-edged sword, so I don't know. I, my, my money is on they'll probably try to have that reveal to release time window pretty short. Um, but yeah, GTA 6. All right, let's talk about a couple of updates to Xbox Cloud Streaming for other platforms, as we know Xbox is working on bringing uh, their games to other cloud streaming services with these various 10-year deals they're making in an effort to kind of address the concerns of regulatory bodies like the CMA or the EU to try and get this deal passed. So beginning this week, actually, Microsoft has already begun rolling out PC games on on Boostroid, um, or actually next month they'll begin doing that, sorry. Starting June 1st, Deathloop, Gears 5, Grounded, and Pentiment will all be made available on the cloud's gaming service, Boostroid. Microsoft said Boostroid subscribers will also be able to play these titles across a range of platforms, including Windows, Linux, Android, Android TV, macOS, through an app and additional devices through browsers and webOS. Microsoft has also begun rolling out some games to GeForce Now, the streaming service, which will get Gears 5, the first Xbox Game Studios title to be added to NVIDIA's cloud gaming service, which is arguably the most legitimate cloud streaming service second to Game Pass. Uh, or yeah, Xbox Cloud Streaming, especially now that Stadia is dead, uh, and it will be joined by Deathloop, Grounded, and Pentiment on May 25th. So the same four games basically going to both services. In February, Microsoft announced a 10-year partnership with NVIDIA to bring its Xbox PC games to GeForce Now. Quote, we are committed to enabling players to stream games from Xbox Game Studios and Bethesda, as we are, as well as the future of Activision Blizzard PC games once the acquisition closes. Through the cloud gaming service and of their choice, said Xbox corporate VP Sarah Bond. So keep in mind, this is kind of ballsy because they're already honoring these 10-year deals for some of these these platform services uh, as early as in a week from now. But this deal has not been approved by the CMA or by uh, the FTC here in the States. So it's a little ballsy because if at the end of the day, this deal never gets approved and never goes through, they're stuck with these 10 year deals to put their games on these other streaming services, all for all as sorry, all as concessions to try and get their Activision acquisition passed. So if at the end of the day, there's a there's a possibility that they're stuck with these 10 years supporting deals of of competitive um, streaming services, all for a deal with Activision that never got approved. That is a possibility. There's a possibility that the ha that happens. Um, I guess maybe they think by enacting this and, and, and doing it now and showing that they're dedicated to this now, it instills a lot more confidence and maybe helps accelerate the process of approval from regulatory bodies. I assume that's why they're willing to do this and take this risk now, but it, it is a little ballsy and a little risky to think. Like, what if at the end of the day, this deal just doesn't get passed in the US and in the UK and then... Microsoft can't acquire Activision Blizzard, and then for the next 10 years, they're stuck putting Xbox and Bethesda games on, on GeForce Now and Boostroid. It's 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 possible, so kind of crazy shit, but yeah, I mean, if you're a subscriber of any of those services, hey, look, for, look out for some Xbox and Bethesda games coming real soon. Man, I've been thinking about Gears 5 a lot lately. It's funny that Gears 5 keeps popping up, because um, I, I really want to go back and replay Gears 5. That game is so good. 
basically that's the swan song of the xbox one when you think about it and uh boy that game is so underappreciated fuck if you haven't played gears 5 or hive busters please stop stop watching old snl skits on youtube on your family computer and please go play those games instead all right let's have a quick update on the ubisoft published massive developed star wars game apparently the massive developed massive the team behind uh the division the open world massive developed star wars game is is apparently going to come out in 2024 the title which is in development at ubisoft massive is scheduled for release during the company's current fiscal year ending in march 31st 2024 so that could be really as soon as you know this fall or next spring however they caught according to kotaku sources that share this information they've cautioned that the target is likely too ambitious Instead, they expect the game's release date to ultimately be delayed or pushed back to maybe March 2025 fiscal year, fiscal year ending in March 2025. So it could come out in 2024, like late 2024 or early 2025. However, as of now, it seems internally penned for a uh, late 2023, early 2024 release. So there's a possibility, although we haven't seen this game, it doesn't have a proper name. I, I doubt it, but Ubisoft does have a uh, Ubisoft Forward live stream event on June 11th, Monday, June 11th, the day after Xbox's um, live stream event. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Maybe, who knows, maybe we get a full gameplay reveal, a title and a release date. Who knows? Although every game gets delayed these days, so I'm not holding my breath. However, we do know Ubisoft has confirmed a pretty big release schedule for its current fiscal year, including Assassin's Creed Mirage, which we'll talk about later in the show, uh, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Mobile, Tom Clancy's The Division Resurgence, Skull and Bones, The Crew Motorfest, X Defiant, and a, quote, another larger game, which could be this, could be this Star Wars game, so we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I mean, hey, I I won't say much more because I think we're going to get our answer on June 12th, really, but I'm excited to see this game, although uh, I'm a little Star Wars'd out. I, this is like the one Star Wars project in development right now that I'm like, I think I think I have the energy to at least like tune in and see what this game is. I'm not promising that I'm going to play it, but I am interested to see at the very least what it is and see if it maybe it becomes something I want to play. Other than that, whenever Respawn makes this first-person shooter Star Wars game, I'm, that's a game I can't wait to see. All right, and finally, before we get into the real news, you guys, Alan Wake 2, actually, nope, oop, let's skip that because... The PlayStation event confirmed that, so now that is dated news. I should have erased that. I am sorry. I'm a bad host. Please forgive me, God. Please forgive me. All right, so that is going to do for all of our small, little, mildly amusing stories for the week. We will then jump into the big news of the week with the PlayStation Showcase, all the hot, juicy stuff. But you know me. You know I like to tease a little bit. I like to show a little shoulder, you know what I'm saying? But uh, I I just can't jump into the news because first I want to talk about the games I've been playing this week. Let's talk about the games we've been playing, chill out a little bit, take a breather, and then we'll jump into the main news. But before I can even tell you about what I've been playing, I've got to stop everything, hold the phone, and tell you about what I've been eating, you guys. I don't know. I have nothing I've been eating. Nothing to say about what I've been eating. But I do have something to say food-related. You guys, I don't know if you're a product of the 90s, early 2000s. Maybe you were around and cognizant in that time period. And you have some nostalgia for some of the TV of the era. And I promise this is food-related. But Go Discovery, which is basically like Discovery Channel's like early dot-com era like web initiative for like TV content and clips and everything. Uh, they have a YouTube channel called go discovery and they have just uploaded all these seasons of all the amazing tv shows they used to air back in like the early 2000s including those travel videos about like 
going to Walt Disney World and stuff that I used to just watch endlessly re- on repeat as a child. But aside from that, um, what the, th- the thing that drew me to this YouTube channel, I stumbled upon it and immediately subscribed and started saving all these videos to my watch list, uh, is because they have all the old seasons of, of Anthony Bourdain's uh, a, a, cook, a Cook's Tour. So... I, I don't know. I, I just remember watching a lot of Anthony Bourdain as a younger child. I remember watching a lot of this show and just being like really enthralled by watching this man just travel around the world and just eat awesome looking food from all over the world. And it's just, I don't know. It's just it's something very nostalgic for me. I feel like it had a lot to do with my, and I, I, I'm sure most people feel this way. Anyone who knows who the hell Anthony Bourdain, may he rest in peace, probably feels this way. Just any amount of exposure to this man helped you to develop an extreme appreciation for not just food in itself, because obviously we all like food, we have to eat in order to survive, but like food culture and just like kind of being curious about what other people eat around the world and what other things we can do with food and other ways it can be enjoyed and shared and how other cultures view and appreciate and take it in. And so, I don't know, it just reminded me, I, I love food. Food's a big part of this podcast. Food's a big part of my life. I've I always there's a long time in my life where I thought I was gonna maybe go to culinary school and, and end up working in a kitchen my whole life. So I have a big appreciation for for this kind of stuff, and it's it's nostalgic, it's comforting, it's informative, and it's inspiring to just kind of go through this old. I, I know Anthony Bourdain in his later years did that show on CNN. Um, I forget the name, but it, it, that that's also a good show. But like especially his older like Discovery stuff so good man i just i love these videos they're so like just oh my god they, they just ooze that like early 2000s kind of energy and vibe and like the way the show is like cut and edited in the background music it's so uh it's so so bad good at the same time i love it and uh i don't know i just recommend it man it's cool cool stuff i also just started reading uh I, he has a lot of books but i just started reading his K- kitchen confidential on my on my kindle so I'm really excited to get into that. So not, nothing I've been eating this week that I'm super excited to talk about, but just some food-related stuff I'm excited to watch more of, read more about, just consume and enjoy in some way. So that's I guess that's it for what I've been eating. But shout-out to uh, Mr. Anthony Bourdain. May he rest in peace. He's no longer with us. And, uh, bro, shout-out to shout out to his books, his TV shows. If you've never seen the man's work, by, for love of God, dude, that, that guy's a legend, so... Watch his uh, watch watch the episode. If, if you could only watch one thing, I, I encourage you to go on YouTube and watch the episode of a Cook's tour where he goes to um, where he goes to uh, Thomas Keller's uh, California restaurant, his original restaurant, the French Laundry, uh, which is like you know it's like a fucking it's like a mecca. If you're like if you're like into food, if 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 food is like your thing, you know you're into like culinary arts. This is like a restaurant that's like. Top, it's got to be like top five for everyone in the world to, to get to at some point in your life. But the French Laundry, uh, Thomas Keller's original Michelin star restaurant. Um, and it's just, it's from the early, it's shot in the early 2000s. It's just about like his experience going there and eating and kind of meeting Thomas Keller and all that. It's just a, it's such a cool episode. I encourage you to, if you could only watch one thing, watch that episode. It's good shit. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on to what I've been playing. And this is also a little bit of a bummer. I, I don't mean to be so slow and boring right before we get into something so exciting like this PlayStation showcase, but for this week, what I've been playing, well, I teased a little bit. I tried to play Mortal Kombat 11, sat there for like an hour, downloaded the whole fucking game thinking this is it. I'm, I'm going to be into Mortal Kombat. I kind of liked, you know, a couple other fighters I've been dabbling in lately. Let's see how Mortal Kombat goes. And then got four minutes in, played one match on the very easiest mode, went through a little tutorial and was like, nope, 
deleted it. My girlfriend walks in there and she's like, Mortal Kombat, I love that game. Can we play together? I'm like, just deleted it. Sorry. <laughs> I feel like such a dick, but I, I immediately had no interest. But um, I did I did remedy my shitty boyfriend behavior because there's a huge Activision sale this week. And I've had, there's a couple, like I said, you guys, I'm sure if you listen to the show recently, you know, Jesse's unusually into Call of Duty. You know, it's kind of weird. Like, you're not supposed to actually like Call of Duty. I know it's supposed to be cringe. We're all supposed to laugh at it and kind of act like we're above it. But I like Call of Duty a lot. I loved it when I was younger and, you know, back in the heyday of like MW2 and Black Ops 1 and all that shit. And then I fell off Call of Duty really hard, pretty much throughout the entirety of the Xbox One generation. I just really didn't give a shit about Call of Duty. But I've really fallen back into Call of Duty since the Modern Warfare 2019 Black Ops Cold War kind of era kicked off. And so I've been, yeah, I've been really feeling that, sh- that, that stuff. And uh, so I've been trying to make it an effort to go back and play through some of the Call of Duties I missed. I know, you know, the multiplayer, the zeitgeist is kind of like, it's all happened. You know, all that, all that stuff has come and gone. There's not much you can do about it. But some of these games, you can go back and play the campaign. You can play the zombies and all that. So I'm trying to go back and dabble in these Call of Duties I missed back during my years of I don't give a shit about Call of Duty. And some of them, I'm glad I missed them. You know, like World War II didn't do it for me. You know, Advanced Warfare. Didn't really do it for me. Black Ops 3, god-awful campaign, amazing zombies. Black Ops 4, I think that game was probably really good when it first came out, and I kind of missed out, to be honest. But there's a few I still haven't played, and um, one of them being Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. This is the 2016 Call of Duty, and there's a massive Activision sale in the Xbox Store this week. So I went ahead and just said, fuck it, 20 bucks plus I got some Xbox uh, Microsoft points saved up. It's basically $10. Let's just go ahead and do it. So I downloaded Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, the 2016 Infinity War developed Call of Duty. And what's notable about this one, and one of the reasons why I extra skipped it the year it came out, is because this is infamously the year in which um, EA Games actually completely fucked over Titanfall 2 because they sandwiched the release date smack dab in between their own DICE-developed Battlefield 1 and Activision published uh, Infinity War developed Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. So this was the fall of 2016. It went Battlefield 1, then immediately afterwards, Titanfall 2, then immediately afterwards, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. And that's famously, you know, how everyone talks about how EA fucked over Titanfall. That's why Titanfall 2 didn't do very well and why the franchise kind of died like it did. And anyway, so a lot of people blame the fact that you know, it went right up against COD, one of the biggest franchises in the same genre, and you know, Battlefield, its own its own parent get owned game that kind of cannibalized its own sales. But that's beside the fact. I just remember, obviously, you know, at that time, I went for Titanfall two because I love Titanfall one. I, I was so out of Call of Duty. I did play Battlefield one as well, and I, I liked that game quite a bit. But um, I, I went for Titanfall two in 2016, so I didn't give a shit about Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. It wasn't even remotely on my radar. I couldn't care less. I was like Call of Duty in space. That's for people who care about that. I'm good. I got Titanfall. But now that I'm kind of just in my COD thing and Titanfall is long dead and God God bless us, we'll probably never get another one or, you know, you know, God, whatever, whatever the phrase is, you know, may, may, may God have mercy on our souls. We'll never see Titanfall again. The fact of the matter is I want to go back and play Infinite Warfare. And, and the funny thing is I like watching a lot of these like retrospective YouTube videos where people are like, was Call of Duty blah, 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 as bad as it was? Or like, why was, you know, Call of Duty this such a masterpiece? You know, videos from like people like Chopper or Actman or uh, these various Call of Duty YouTubers and things like that. And I, I love watching these videos. And it seems like the overwhelming sentiment towards this Call of Duty is um, 
I can't believe Infinity Ward did a good job with zombies and the multiplayer sucks ass and this campaign is really good and really underappreciated. And that's kind of like the overall sentiment among the COD community with this game. So I'm like, you know what? I actually like Call of Duty campaigns, especially a lot of the newer ones. I think some of the newer games have really good campaigns. Shout out to Cold War and the new Modern Warfare games. But um, so I jumped in thinking, yeah, mate, whatever, for 10 bucks, let's see what this campaign was like. And I'm only a couple of missions in because I'm kind of, again, home shit. I'm just busy right now. I don't have a lot of time for gaming. But oh my God, dude, this campaign, at least the first couple levels, so badass. So, so cool. This is one of the coolest scenarios for a Call of Duty campaign I've ever seen. It's a really cool space sci-fi cinematic experience. And there's just some really beautiful art. Like, I'm so used to Call of Duty being so just drab and and, and fucking khaki, sandy, sad, disgusting. Especially the Infinity Ward made games. You know, these these are the guys that make Modern Warfare. These are some of the most beige disgusting looking decrepit shooters i've ever seen in my life not even decrepit because that that almost insinuates that something like gothic or horror like which would be compelling to look at like i i like call of duty i think it's a really fun game but i'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say that modern warfare 2 is a particularly compelling game to look at it's just fucking sand you know it's like it's, it's shit and it, it blows my mind that the same developer behind those games created this beautiful space sci-fi with these vivid living moving backdrops of space and these just this futuristic city that's just like what what the fuck is this how how is this call of duty and it it looks really good some of it's like it's like playing like halo 4 or 5 like like 343 made this kind of like just sci-fi awesomeness and i'm like wow this is a this is a game i i sorely sorely miss so i'm actually really excited to get back into this because so far the opening levels are really cool the cinematics are really compelling the world building is really fun I just think this is like a pretty compelling Call of Duty campaign, at least so far. And then aside from that, I dabbled in the zombies a little bit. I, I did play a couple matches of multiplayer. And yeah, I, I mean, the game's old. It's kind of dead by now. These multiplayer games die out after a few years. But yeah, the multiplayer is nothing to write home about. It's just more Black Ops 3 multiplayer, which in my opinion is absolute dog shit. So I don't care. But uh, the zombies, dude, the zombies in Spaceland. My girlfriend always speaks fondly of this because I never played this game, but she used to play it with her little sister back in the day. Um, they, they, it was like their thing. So she's really excited that we have the game now because she can kind of go back and revisit this. So I made good on my Mortal Kombat 11 betrayal by playing zombies with her. So shout out to this game, Zombies. It's the only Call of Duty Zombies mode not made by Treyarch, the guys that make the Black Ops games, that's actually worth a damn. Uh, it's, it's pretty it's pretty good. This like 80s space theme park freaking zombies experience, which is pretty crazy like it's a little convoluted with some of the like in-game currency systems and shit like that but this overall the the map itself the aesthetic very very strong so i'm having fun with that so i'm just kind of dabbling a little bit in this call of duty game i figure i'll play through the seven hour campaign play a little bit more zombies with my girlfriend and then i'll move on with life but i'm having fun kind of going back and experiencing some of these call of duties i missed some of them I, I wish I'd played them when they were relevant, like Black Ops 4. That was my verdict after playing Black Ops 4, was this was a genuinely good game that I missed out on. Some of them, I uh, I really didn't miss anything, like modern, like uh, like 2017's World War II or 2014's Advanced Warfare, although I did buy that game when it came out. I just I played the campaign and did nothing else. But anyway, that's it for what I've been playing. Uh, hopefully we'll get some more interesting stuff to talk about next week. But guys, 
let's take a quick a chug of water, maybe a little uh, a little smoke break if you're if you're addicted to the the substance, you know what I mean, baby. And then uh, we'll reconvene and talk about the PlayStation Showcase and all the news that's uh, related to Xbox from the showcase, which uh, there's a lot of. So see you in just a second. All right, sorry, I was petting my cat. We're done. Let's get back to it. PlayStation news. So it's Wednesday. This is literally just a couple hours after the the whole stream took place. PlayStation had their big showcase. They announced it last week, kind of as a last minute thing. Hey, by the way, after two years of basically, you know, actually, let, let me back up. For those who follow Xbox very closely and aren't very tuned into what's going on in the world of PlayStation, a big concern and wonder in the PlayStation community for a while has been like, Hey, where are the games on our side? We're used to that being the conversation for Xbox. Where are the games? But this has actually been a concern for PlayStation for a little while because they haven't had a big showcase the way Xbox does once or twice a year. PlayStation hasn't really had anything in like two years. In addition to that, we all know Spider-Man 2 is supposed to come out this fall. The rumor is September, but you know, this fall. And uh, still, there's there's no word on like any of the other stable PlayStation brands. There's no word on when Sucker Punch's next game is going to come out. Uh, in, in Naughty Dog, Sony Ben, Sony Santa Monica, all these developers, we don't know when all their their next game, like what the projects are, when they're coming out. You know, obviously there's some givens. You can assume probably, you know, Sucker Punch is going to make another Ghost of Tsushima game because the last one just did so, so well. So obviously like things like that, but that's kind of where things are in the in the land of PlayStation. It's very like, where are we with this shit? So this, this showcase was a huge deal for PlayStation fans because it's just kind of like, hey, is this going to be our moment where boom, 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 here's seven new first party games announced. Oh my God, don't they all look amazing? Kind of like what a lot of Xbox fans were waiting for. I think Xbox is in a different position now, but for a long time, that's kind of where Xbox fans were. Now, I would argue Xbox fans are in a position where we know about 800 new games coming, but what the fuck do any of them play like, look like, when are they coming? All these kinds of details, because we got a whole lot of titles and cinematic trailers with not a whole lot of information or release dates or anything like that. So for us, it's a little bit different on the Xbox side where we're waiting for more concrete details and information as to when we can expect the 500 first party games that are announced and seemingly never coming. Um, but it's a little bit different of a situation. So nonetheless, there's a lot of excitement and a lot of, and a lot overall writing on this showcase for PlayStation. So with that said, I mean, like it was, I don't know, there's just kind of a fervor. Like, even if you're not necessarily a big PlayStation person, like this is, it's exciting, right? Like the, the industry is just going to kind of been stagnant. The, the pandemic really fucked everything up where just so many games got pushed back and delayed. And there's just been such, such a weird feel the past year or so gaming where the the dearth of gaming content is clearly is clearly an effect being felt from 2020 and 2021 being work from home and all this crazy stuff and just supply shortages and all these various factors that just kind of delayed the already complex kind of inner working systems of game development so I feel like we're starting to get to the point where we're getting out of that and we're going to get kind of barraged with a bunch of new games. I do think that is overall what the story of 2023 is going to be, which is just, wow, a lot of games came out this year. But even even still, I feel like we're still just waiting on a lot of 
It's like, what is this team working on? Where's that game? When's that coming out? So anyway, with that said, you know, PlayStation had a lot of games to show. And I would argue overall, though, it's not really relevant to our our situation because we're really here to just talk about the games they announced or showed that are also coming to Xbox. I think it is worth saying, you know, because I, I just want to say it's not as an Xbox fanboy, but as someone who is often hypercritical of Xbox, especially after their game showcases, I generally go really hard on Xbox and am more critical than a lot of the audiences on, on their showing. So I just want to kind of be fair and even because I usually think, especially in recent history, when, when Sony does do showcases, that they actually do quite a great job, uh, quite a good job. And um, with this showcase, I will say in terms of the pacing and the format and everything, Sony did an absolute S tier knock it out of the park job with this because it was very much like hey no more than like a minute on each game except for the last game which is their big reveal and no more than you you know just don't have people on stage talking 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 just make it like game 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 so i thought they did a great job with the presentation and the flow and all that the problem was the games they focused on i I really thought playstation was going to come out hard with some like really big teams with some really big games with some really far along in development looks at some some of these projects that we didn't know about but i feel like what what we ended up getting was a lot of indie games a lot of games we already knew about and then some confirmations of rumors we've been talking about for like a year or so so overall i feel like the playstation event ended up being a little bit you know pretty good but just not not like wow where it could have and maybe should have been more of a wow factor, especially considering they haven't gone in like two years. You know, I, I, again, I'm always hypercritical of Xbox's showings, but man, if Xbox didn't do a showcase for two years and then they came back and it was like mostly indie games, some third party things, a couple confirmed rumors, and then like one first party game, I, I might be a little pissed. Although Sony does have some first party games here they showed, it's just for a lot of new studios that they purchased and that are brand new and haven't really proven themselves yet. It's not like, you know, I'm I'm not looking for like an unheard of studio. I'm saying like you know if if we're talking Xbox, where's the coalition? Where's three four three? Where are these guys? You know, and that's what I'm saying. It's like Sony didn't have that, but they did have some really interesting stories that we're going to get into now. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna pick out. Well, actually, let's start with this. So shortly after the showcase, because of course for PlayStation Showcase, they're not going to put at the end of these trailers coming 2023 to PlayStation and Xbox. They're not going to put that. So all these trailers just say coming to PS5 or coming to PS4 or coming to PC, but they don't mention Xbox, which you expect, right? But right after the show happened, the official Xbox Twitter account tweeted out, oh, hey, confirmed aren't these games actually let me let me see exactly what what they said because it was a little it was a little bit like a stinger, man. They they were kind of like showing off a bit. Let's see. Yeah, so right after the event ended, they tweeted a photo, a picture with all the games that were shown at Sony's show, showcase that are also coming to Xbox. And the tweet just says, "What a good looking group!" And they're you know just kind of like flexing, like, "Yeah, thanks for announcing all these games coming to our our platform." And um, so yeah, let's let's just jump really like right into it, game by game, starting with the one that at least to me is the most exciting and the biggest one. I'm not going to go in the order it happened. I'm going to go in the order that I think is most exciting. So let's kick it off with Bungie. Bungie, the developer who of course are pretty much responsible for the existence of the Xbox brand or the, the, or the sustainability of the Xbox brand, because they're the, the parents, the, the, the birthplace of Halo, you know, the, the franchise that made Xbox. Um, obviously they were owned by Microsoft for a long time and then they went independent and then they were kind of like really hard working with Activision and then they broke free of Activision. And then last year, Sony scooped them up and now they're owned by 
by PlayStation of all of all companies. And so this is our first time seeing Bungie talk under the ownership of a PlayStation of Sony. And they announced a game that's long been rumored and is now officially confirmed marathon. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this is the first time Bungie's announced a game. That's not destiny in over a decade. And so it's huge news. Bungie, one of the all time, no doubt top five greatest developers of all time. A fucking crazy listen i get it we can talk about like the nintendo team behind like mario and shit we could talk about you know i don't know like rockstar and grand theft auto i am for my money in my opinion when you look at the influence of halo and destiny i think bungie is absolutely a top five most important video game developers of all time kind of studio you know you could you could argue like valve is one bungie's one nintendo is one I don't know. There's there there aren't a whole lot that I would really put on like that tier of like they're just that important. But Bungie is certainly one of those developers, and so it's crazy. We're we're getting a new game from them. It's not Destiny, and they are now owned by PlayStation. So this is like how what is it like seeing what was once Xbox's most prominent first party studio that they fucked up and then let go, and now belong to their biggest competition? And let's see what they're gonna do. So they announced Marathon. Um, this game's been rumored for a long-ass time, and now it's been confirmed. Now, obviously, Bungie, one of their older games before the days of Halo, was a PC game called Marathon, a Mac game called Marathon. This game is set in the same universe and pulls artistically from that game, but is not even remotely a continuation of some story or direct sequel to any of that. It is just a new game called Marathon that clearly draws influence from the game that kind of got Bungie started back in the day. So that's why the game is called Marathon. But uh, yeah, it's a brand new science fiction shooter. It is a, this is the part that's going to be a little divisive. It is a sci-fi PVP extraction shooter. So for those who don't know, extraction shooter, think of Escape from Tarkov or like the DMZ mode of Call of Duty uh, Warzone 2. It's, um, yeah, it's a multiplayer only players work together and then also fight against other teams and try to grab loot and get out and, and, and win a battle kind of multiplayer mode that's quite popular but also quite competitive and a little a little I want I kind of want to say niche just because by way of Bungie games tra- traditionally being single player narrative games with a multiplayer component this is a little more um down a specific road that I think will maybe isolate or maybe cut itself off from a little bit of its traditional player base uh, by by being so multiplayer centric but not entirely surprising especially saying kind of what destiny has been that they're leaning more and more into solely multiplayer but yeah so it's they, they showed off marathon they showed a cinematic trailer for it no release date no idea as to when the game is being made or coming out this is clearly like all all announcements these days for game studios um just basically a way of advertising like hey we're working on a project and we need people to come apply to work here that's kind of what this was but for all of us it confirms the rumors of marathon it confirms that bungie's got a new game that's not destiny and it just shows us a little sneak peek into the future of this, you know, incredibly important studio that's working on something all new. So, yeah, I mean, they're owned by PlayStation now. So they, they announced it. They showed it off with the announcement for PlayStation and PC. But shortly afterwards, they tweeted out and then Microsoft confirmed, hey, the game is absolutely also coming to Xbox. So even though they are owned by PlayStation, it's important to know that Bungie is not being treated like 
a Sony first party studio. They're being treated kind of like how Xbox is treating Bethesda, where it's like, we own Bethesda, but we're not calling like Bethesda an Xbox Game Studios developer. We're calling them Bethesda. They're part of ZeniMax. They are they are a subsidiary of Microsoft. So it's kind of how they're treating Bungie, where it's like, hey, it is a subsidiary, it is an owned entity of Sony, but it is not part of the the PlayStation first party lineup. So it's important to note that. So I think we're we've all kind of known that Bungie's going to continue to operate as a multi-platform kind of agnostic developer in that sense, but they are owned by PlayStation. So no doubt you can assume a lot of their games are going to have bonus content or timed content or exclusivity on certain aspects for PlayStation platforms. They're going to be designed for and with PlayStation in mind first. So obviously um, there is a little bit of a slant. It's not like they're just entirely unaffiliated. They're, they're owned by PlayStation. So it's just kind of a crazy situation to think about. But anyway, let me read the blurb from the Xbox, from the PlayStation blog, rather. It says, quote, a sci-fi PvP extraction shooter, Marathon will find players engaging one, uh, one another as cybernetic mercenaries known as runners, exploring a lost colony on the planet of Tau Ceti IV in search of riches, fame, and infamy. Bungie editorial lead Brian Eckberg wrote on the PlayStation blog. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm super excited for this just because I'm excited to see Bungie do something new and, you know, sp- spread their wings. I adore Halo, as you all know. It's one of my favorite franchises of all time. I adore Destiny. I don't love it as much as Halo, but I absolutely adore Destiny. In fact, I've said many times on the show, I think the world became a better place when we had... Um, Bungie making these great Destiny experiences and 343 making these great Halo 4 and 5 experiences. Whereas, you know, of course we all love Bungie-era Halo. It, it's nice having both these teams work on both these things. I just I just love Bungie. I love what they do. And I'm excited to see them do something, something new now. So I'm really happy about that. So in addition, I feel like not a lot of people really talked about this, but shortly after Marathon was announced, they were also like, keeping with Bungie, Here's a quick little CGI trailer for the next and final Destiny 2 expansion, unless they end up injecting another year of content or something into Destiny 2. As far as we know, this next expansion that comes out next year is basically the end of Destiny. It is the part two of the Lightfall expansion that just came out this past year, and uh, it is called The Final Shape. So they show this little cinematic trailer real quick where Ikora is kind of like talking to, to somebody, but it doesn't show and then you think, oh man, is it Zavala? Since you know his actor just died, or is it, or is this who is this? Like, what is, what is she talking about? And they're kind of talking about how they're up against a threat they've never faced before. And then it shows Cade Six, and Cade Six is suddenly alive. I don't know how, but Cade Six died in the Forsaken expansion years ago. So I guess for this the final expansion of Destiny, they're going to bring back Cade Six, Cade Six from the dead. And he's going to be in the game, and I think we do know Commander Zavala is actually also still going to be in the game, um, despite the uh, despite the passing of Lance Reddick, uh, unfortunately, recently. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know. To me, that was, like, super cool as a Destiny fan, being like, oh, my God, Cade 6 is back. Also, I guess white characters never really die. I don't, I don't know. Either way, I don't care. I miss this character. I like this character. I'm excited to see the finale of Destiny after the decade we've spent playing it. So I don't know. I'm looking forward to that. I'm high on Bungie right now. We got Destiny 2 heating up for next year. We got Marathon finally confirmed. So we get to see what Bungie's we get to see what Bungie's hard at work on for their next title. And I'm just super stoked about it. And of course all of it's going to be on Xbox. So that is good news there. The next game I think of serious note to talk about is uh Metal Gear Solid Delta. 
or Snake Eater Delta, however you want to call it. Uh, I mean, if you really want to just read it exactly as it looks on the screen, it's Metal Gear Solid Triangle Snake Eater. But no, the, it's the Delta symbol. So yeah, this this game is falls under the category of long rumored, and today was finally confirmed. So obviously this would have been a bigger deal if, the, if it had never been rumored or leaked in any capacity. But yes, Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater is being remade and released not only on PlayStation, but also on Xbox. So it was confirmed for Xbox as well. Um, however, let's let's jump into a little bit. Let me just read a little bit from this uh, VGC excerpt, and then we can talk about it. Konami's officially announced Metal Gear Solid 3 Remake for PlayStation consoles. revealing Revealed during the PlayStation Showcase, Metal Gear Solid Delta Snake Eater uh, will release on PS5 as well as Xbox Series S and X and PC. Konami described the title as a faithful remake. A new generation of player and loyal fans alike can experience the original story, the origin story of the famed big boss and witness how the legend was forged out of the crucible of Operation Snake Eater, it said. Konami also confirmed, and here's where it gets spicy. Konami also confirmed Volume 1 of the Metal Gear Solid Remaster Collection, featuring Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid 2, and Metal Gear Solid 3, releasing in, the autumn, in autumn 2023. Quote, we are remaking Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, one of the most beloved installments in the Metal Gear series, revealing the origin story of Snake as Metal Gear Solid Delta Snake Eater. We are working hard on Metal Gear Solid Delta Snake Eater to be faithful recreation of the original story and game design while evolving the gameplay and stunning visuals in a seamless user experience. Simultaneously, we will be delivering Metal Gear Solid Master Collection series, a most complete compilation that celebrates 35th anniversary of the series. The Metal Gear Solid Master Collection allows fans to play the games as they were at first released on the latest platforms. They say on the latest platforms. However, the setback is, despite Metal Gear Solid Delta Snake Eater, this remaster, this remake of Metal Gear Solid 3 being confirmed for Xbox, this new Metal Gear Solid remaster collection, Volume 1, which just features a basic remastering of MGS 1, 2, and 3, there is no confirmation that that is coming to Xbox. No one spoke up and said, yes, it's also coming to Xbox. Konami just says for players to experience them as they were first released on, but on latest platforms. So they, that could just mean PlayStation and PC. That could mean Xbox. However, th this is, this is my take. And, and let's just keep it Occam's razor, simplest, you know, explanation suggests kind of what's going on here. PlayStation had this event, they announced a bunch of games, and then immediately afterwards, Xbox tweets out a photo that shows all the games that were announced at PlayStation's event that are also coming to Xbox. Included on that list is MGS3 Snake Eater Sigma, or Delta Edition, this new remake, but not this collection remaster of the original three games. So the fact that they haven't said it, no one else has said it, no other website has got it, no other interviews got it, no other publisher, developer, whatever has said anything, Suggest that it's not coming to Xbox because clearly Xbox was very eager to say, hey, that's great. Sony just did a thing, but here are all the games they talked about that are also coming to our platform. So don't think they have all the games. We still have games too. The fact that they let this one out tells you it's not coming because if it were coming, they would be so hyped to tell you it's coming. And if they aren't saying anything, then it's not coming. That is how I see this. That is how I read this. 
So it's very unfortunate, but it seems like, yet again, there's just some issue where that first Metal Gear Solid game just cannot come to Xbox. We've got we've had MGS2 come to Xbox, we've had MGS3 come to Xbox, and now we're seeing those games come to Xbox again. However, there's just something in there where it seems like the first Metal Gear Solid and the fourth Metal Gear Solid just are kind of forever locked to PlayStation. And I know Silicon Knights back in the early 2000s did a remake a few years after the game came out on PS1 for the GameCube. And there's, you know, what was it called? Metal Gear Solid, not Subsistence. I forget what it's called. But it was a remake of Metal Gear Solid 1, the PS1 game, for a Nintendo GameCube back in the early 2000s. And that was the one and only time that game ever got put on a non-PlayStation console. But for some reason, that game has just never come to Xbox, despite the fact that Konami has been putting Metal Gear games on Xbox for over 10 years now. I don't know what it is. There must be some kind of agreement or deal or some kind of publishing amount of say or weigh-in that PlayStation has from all the way back in the day that has allowed them to exercise some ability for this game to never come to Xbox, I guess. But this game, just it's just still, after all this time, has not come to Xbox. And I wonder, I feel like if they... If they, if they want to do a remaster of the GameCube version, I feel like they could bring that to Xbox. But the thing is, they probably want to remaster and remake the original PlayStation 1 game. And for some reason, that game just doesn't seem to be able to come off of PlayStation consoles. And so I don't think it's coming. They haven't confirmed. I guess there's always the, the chance that maybe I'm wrong and that it is coming to Xbox. But I would not hold your breath if you're a Metal Gear Solid fan hoping and praying that maybe this is the time where Xbox fans finally get to experience the original Metal Gear Solid on Xbox hardware. I just I don't think it's coming. But hey, at least we are getting the MGS3 remake. And uh, hey, it's better than nothing. It's kind of like what we get with Square Enix. A little bit of support, but not all the support. That's, that's for PlayStation. It's kind of how Japanese publishers and developers treat xbox is like every now and then we'll throw you a bone but we're really here for nintendo and playstation go fuck yourself xbox so anyway that's uh it's a little bit of good news a little bit of bad news i guess if you could only have one maybe you'd want the new shiny from the ground up remake however i know people are really eager to experience that first game on xbox so it's not all great but it is better than nothing so and that, and that just continues our chicken and egg conversation with, like, why don't Xbox gamers support Japanese games? It's like, well, because why the fuck would we play Octopath Traveler 1 on Xbox if we know the sequel is on PlayStation and never come to Xbox? Why the fuck would I play Final Fantasy uh, fucking whatever Crystal Ayudin Chronicle anime titty time when I know you won't put Final Fantasy 7 Remake on Xbox? You know, it's, it's just that shit. Like, why would... Why would I support one when I know you're not going to give me the other part of it? So, I don't know. Next up, a game that we all knew about for a while, but I was not as excited about until we saw this trailer today. Alan Wake 2 got a release date, and this has been rumored all week that we would get the release date during this event. But yeah, uh, publisher Epic Games and developer Remedy Entertainment have announced that Alan Wake 2 will release on October 17, 2023. So just a few months, just in time for Halloween, really ideal release time for this game. Uh, the date was shown at the end of a trailer. The trailer was shown during the PlayStation Showcase, and it looks fucking awesome. So head over to the PlayStation blog. Remedy Communication Director Thomas Pua uh, confirmed that the game is... A will feature a co-lead protagonist and second playable character called uh, Saga Anderson. Sega? Sega? Saga? Uh, quote, 
A string of ritualistic murders threatens Bright Falls, a small-town community surrounded by the Pacific Northwest wilderness. Anderson, an accomplished FBI agent with a reputation for solving impossible cases, arrives to investigate the murders. Soon, the events spiral into a nightmare when she discovers pages of a horror story that start coming true around her. Somehow, the events seem to lead to Alan Wake, the horror writer who went missing 13 years ago, Pua said. I don't know much about that. I, I started the original... Alan Wake game and never played it. I, I really want to go back and play that remake that came out the other year. Now that, um, now that I've, uh, I don't know. Now that this, this trailer has been shown and this game has been dated, it's just got me like really hyped to go back and experience Alan Wake. But, oh my God, guys, this, this trailer looks freaking good. Tonally, atmospherically, it just looks, man, it looks really good. So I, I'm excited for this game. I'm glad that they're able to get it in line with, a Halloween time frame, which is just so so fitting. It's it's kind of like everything I wish would have happened with Redfall, where, wow, what a great Halloween game that released just in time for the summer, you know? It's kind of like, what a disappointing opportunity that was just completely missed. And um, I don't know, in this case, it seems like they're hitting it on the head. Again, Remedy, I, I haven't beaten all their games. Alan Wake is the big blind spot for me with, when it comes to their games, especially where I just have like no exposure. I like Max Payne. I've played Max Payne. I love Control. I love uh, Quantum Break. All these games, but I've just I've never played Alan Wake, so I really need to go back and finish this game so I can play the second because I'm super excited for this game now. But yeah, again, Remedy Entertainment. It always hurts kind of seeing them with Sony. Uh, you know, obviously this game is being published by Epic Games as part of an agreement Remedy has with Epic for like three games. But again, they were at one point so in bed with Xbox, and it just feels so weird seeing. Alan Wake 2, a sequel to a game that was an Xbox 360 exclusive for like a decade, be shown off and dated on during PlayStation Showcase. It just feels weird. It feels wrong. And again, it's just one of those things where it's like Xbox, you take so many L's today. You know, like these days it's like you fuck up so many. There's so many things. It's like, why are you getting that wrong? And I can't help but feel like one of the biggest mistakes Xbox ever made was not trying to put a ring on Remini. When they, when they could have, it's like they were, they were working with you almost exclusively for so long, all throughout the Xbox 360 years and through most of the Xbox one years. Why did you not put a ring on that shit? Like they're such a great developer. They're such a talented developer. They're such an efficient developer and they make phenomenal games that complement your platform so well. And here they are announcing a sequel to one of the Xbox 360's most you know, acclaimed kind of uh, sleeper hits on your competitor's platform. But anyway, that's beside the point. Nonetheless, Alan Wake 2 looks awesome. October 17th. I'm excited. That just shot up way high on my interest list. I can't wait to go jump into Alan Wake uh, remastered, the first game remastered, because now I want to get that under my belt before Alan Wake 2, because I definitely want to try and play this uh, around launch if I can. So looks really good. Next up, Assassin's Creed Mirage. Now, this is another game we absolutely knew about. It was fully announced, but we got a trailer for it. So Ubisoft showed a quick trailer for Assassin's Creed Mirage that showed gameplay and confirmed an October 12th release. So again, we knew this game was going to have an imminent release, uh, and this is you know imminent as far as like in the next couple months, sometimes this year, not, not in the next couple weeks or anything. But yeah, and this confirms it. October 12th, release date for Assassin's Creed Mirage. And yeah, this is basically everything they announced last year and that we knew it would be. It's... 9th century Baghdad, it's described as a special tribute to the first Assassin's Creed released all the way back in 07, back when everything was great in the world, and Yellow Card released the album 
Paper Walls, which is just a fucking phenomenal record everyone should be familiar with. Um, and they said, quote, in the gameplay trailer, you will continue to follow the journey of Basim, Basim, one of the most versatile and resourceful assassins in franchise history, wrote associate director Maite Hayet. I'm so sorry, I can't pronounce anything that's not hot dog or hamburger. Uh, but yeah, they showed a qu- this is pretty typical for how Ubisoft likes to do these things. They would do this a lot around the E3 days as well. It's like, okay, we're about to have our own Ubisoft event in a week or whatever, so let's show a quick trailer for Assassin's Creed. Show a little bit of gameplay, but we'll save the deep dive. We'll save the the meat and potatoes of the showing for the Ubisoft event in a week or so. So I assume we will see this game very shortly in in uh, on on the twelfth of June at the Ubisoft Forward event. But nonetheless, here we got a little taste. We got a confirmation of the release date. And yes, this game really does look like a direct sequel to the very first Assassin's Creed, but for you know with modern technology and modern game design instead of. 2007 you know so it it is what it was rumored to be it is what it was confirmed to be last year when it was announced and what they've shown seems to be pretty true to that it it is kind of cool actually i gotta say as someone who doesn't play assassin's creed and have a lot of love for the franchise i do have to say there is something kind of nice it does feel like this game is like a homecoming for assassin's creed because the franchise has gotten so far away from its roots and also from just its setting its original setting that seeing assassin's creed kind of go back to this Baghdad setting, this Middle Eastern setting. Um, it just, I don't know, it feels it feels fitting. It's like, oh, it's like, cool. It's like Assassin's Creed looks like Assassin's Creed. It's kind of like, you know, we're just talking about Call of Duty. It's kind of like how after so many years of Call of Duty being like, here's a space sci-fi shooter and here's a jetpack and here's running on walls and here's Titanfall Call of Duty and all that. To see them finally go back and do like Modern Warfare 2019, it's like, huh. Yeah, it's like Call of Duty is like doing this thing where like they're going back to being Call of Duty. It's kind of cool. I don't know. It's nice. And that's kind of how this feels. It's like this is like a, what, when they made Call of Duty 2019, it was like Modern Warfare again. This this kind of feels like that approach but for Assassin's Creed. And it's uh, I feel like it's it's a good idea. I feel like it has, has actually a lot of potential to recapture old lapsed fans of the series while also uh, continuing to impress current fans of the series while also making the game extremely accessible and, you know, enticing to an all-new audience. Assassin's Creed's an old franchise. It's been around for over 15 years, so this is a great opportunity to kind of reestablish it, be like, hey, this is Assassin's Creed. It's a, It seems like an absolute great jumping-on point. So the game looks good. Um, I, I even for a second was like, man, would I be interested in Assassin's Creed? But I know the answer is no, so I'm not going to entertain it any further than that. But yeah, we saw Assassin's Creed Mirage. Obviously, that's coming to Xbox. But again, another thing I would just like to say as a side note, so... Again, we saw Destiny in the arms of PlayStation. That's or we saw Bungie in the arms of, De- of PlayStation. It's not entirely new because all throughout the Destiny years with Activision, the marketing deal was with PlayStation. So it's been a while since we've really seen Bungie with Xbox. But nonetheless, we're always reminded this was once an Xbox team. For God's sake, they made Halo. Then we see the Metal Gear Solid thing, which is like just a stark reminder that sometimes we get a little bit of Japanese support on on uh, on Xbox, but. Never as much as PlayStation because we're not liked as much. Then we get the Alan Wake 2 thing, and it's like, ah, God, you got to show this this game that's a direct sequel to an Xbox 360 uh, exclusive game on PlayStation stage. It's just, ah, it's not, a, it's not a good look. And then we see Assassin's Creed Mirage, which even through the Xbox One years, for the most part, I think at some point, maybe it was around 2016, 
at some part the at some point in time the marketing for Assassin's Creed did start to shift towards PlayStation but for a long ass time dating back to the first Assassin's Creed Assassin's Creed was a franchise that was always heavily marketed and associated with the Xbox brand so again here it is you know this game feels like a a callback to 2007 Assassin's Creed and that is a game that very much evokes more so than PlayStation 3 the Xbox 360 and just seeing it announced and shown for the first time on PlayStation stage at PlayStation's event to promote PlayStation 5 it makes you stop and think damn dude what is Xbox doing wrong that we're seeing this this Assassin's Creed game promoted in conjunction with PlayStation and not Xbox so again, it's like I feel like that's a, a real reoccurring theme from like an Xbox fan's perspective while watching this this showcase. And then we have two other things I want to mention. There are some other games, uh, but there's only two other things I want to mention. One's a game, and one's something else. So last one is last game is Dragon's Dogma Two. Now Dragon's Dogma is a game I know the name of very well, and I know what it is. But I I I, I just all I really know about it is is an action RPG from. 10 years ago that people really love that never got a sequel and that for a long time there were rumors and promises and hopes that we'd get a sequel and then recently we found out there would be a sequel and then today we finally got the announcement reveal proper situation for the game so capcom premiered their first trailer for dragon's dogma 2 the sequel to the 2012 rpg um so after they announced it last year we finally have seen it now and yeah i mean the game again i have no reference to this game but it looks like Japanese Skyrim with a touch of Monster Hunter and a little bit of um, and a little bit of Lost Planet. It looks like kind of all those things merged together, and I, maybe even a little bit of Dragon Age in there too. Yeah, like Lost Planet, Dragon Age, Elder Scrolls, and Monster Hunter. You take a little bit of all those games and you put it together, make it definitely Japanese, and you got yourself Dragon's Dogma. That's kind of the vibe I get watching the trailer. But I know this is a game people are really hyped about, really excited to see come back, and here it is finally announced with gameplay and all the trailers out now it's running the resident evil engine which just looks great and uh there's no there's no announcement like announced date or anything for it but hey it's it's in development we we've seen it running in action i assume this game will probably be a 2024 or 2025 game at the absolute latest but yeah i mean that's a huge one and it is absolutely coming to xbox as the first entry did so a couple other games that were announced that are also coming to Xbox. Immortals of, a of Avium, that wasn't announced. We we've known about that game for a while. It's coming out in, on July 20th. Um, that game looks phenomenal. It's by a new developer made up of a bunch of ex-Sledgehammer people. It's like that weird fantastical slash medieval mythical first-person spellcasting shooting type game. Looks fucking awesome. It's an EA original. Looks really, really good. Um, they also so we got another trailer for that. Although we've known about that game for a while, uh, they announced properly Ghost Runner Two. I know that's a really beloved kind of Mirror's Edge time trial first person action game um, that's getting a sequel. That's supposed to come out sometime this year. They get, showed a trailer for it, but no firm release date. Um, they also showed Plucky Square. It's like a smaller indie game, as well as Teardown, uh, Cat Quest, and Neva. So there's a couple other games they showed that are also coming to Xbox, but I won't really get into those because just to be quite honest, it would make for boring podcasts. I don't I don't have any enthusiasm for those games and really anything to say. They do come across kind of as like smaller little indie games. And that's not to not give those games their their just deserves or their you know, their their due in the spotlight. Um, it's just that we'd be here all day talking about things that I don't have enough passion for and it would make the podcast not fun to listen to. So that was kind of the gist of it. Overall, again, I I, I think 
it was a good showing in terms of like the number of games and the pacing, the presentation style. But the fact that we're here again, it's like Immortals of Avium. We knew about that. Metal Gear Solid. Okay, that's good. But, you know, that was already leaked. But still, it's not their fault. That's good. Alan Wake 2. We knew about that. You know, stuff like that again and again and again, where it's like, we knew about that. We saw Assassin's Creed. Yeah, we knew about that. We were going to see that at Ubisoft stage next week anyway. Why do we care? Um, But there just was no showing of like, here are Sony's core teams that everyone expects to see. And here's what they got coming. And, you know, there wasn't enough of that. I think overall, it's a little disappointing in that regard. If I'm a PlayStation 5 owner, if I'm a big PlayStation fan, I'm a little bit let down from that. Of course, the the elephant in the room that we're not talking about here is Spider-Man 2, the big game they ended with. They showed like... 10 15 minutes of gameplay looks phenomenal holy fucking shit like we don't got to get into it because obviously that game is never coming to xbox it's coming to ps5 and then it will probably come to pc in a couple years after that so yeah i mean let's just be honest this game looks phenomenal i'm actually kind of sad because i don't want to buy a ps5 i have no intention of buying a ps5 it's not because i don't like playstation i love playstation i even have a ps4 it's just that i have so little time for gaming these days i want to reserve whatever time i do have for gaming for my xbox but i i don't know what to do because it's going to take a couple years for this game to come to pc after coming to playstation and I don't know that I can wait that long because this game just looks so good. And I love play. I, I love Insomniac and Spider-Man so much. Insomniac is one of my all-time favorite developers. Spider-Man is one is one of my all-time favorite things. It's just I love Spider-Man. I always have. So it's going to be so hard. I loved the first Spider-Man they did in 2018. I loved Miles, Miles Morales in uh, 2020, that was. It's just, I, I don't know, man. Th- these games are so good. It's just going to be so hard for me to not rush out by PlayStation just to go play Spider-Man 2 when it comes out later this year because it looks so, so good. In fact, I I know a lot of people are like, well, PlayStation's in the same situation as Xbox. They have no games. After Spider-Man, we don't know what the fuck they're making. And like, yeah, that's true, but goddamn, Spider-Man looks good. Whereas over on Xbox, it's like, yeah, we know of like 100 games, but they're never coming. We don't know anything about them. But like Starfield, it's like we hope it's good, we think it will be good, but there's no there's no guarantee Starfield's gonna be a hit. I would be absolutely dumbfounded if Spider-Man 2 is anything less than amazing. So I I mean it's just it's a different story because yeah, PlayStation fans don't know what they're looking forward to after Spider-Man, but for right now, all that matters is Spider-Man looks so good. Uh, Xbox fans, we're looking forward to Starfield. We're hoping they don't fuck it up. And after that, we don't know what's happening because we got about 40 games. They're all in development hell. We got a couple CG trailers to back up their existence, and that's about it. So uh, I don't know, man. Spider-Man 2 looks so, so good. But again, not an Xbox game, so not really much to say about it on this podcast. The last thing I want to mention from this Sony event is uh, an announcement they made towards the end of a device called Project Q. Now, this is a device that has leaked and been rumored for a while now, so the idea that it exists is not new, but the confirmation in the image showing what it, the concept of what it will look like, that is new, and that's what we saw today. So Jim Ryan, the head of PlayStation, uh, he said, hey, this is a, a, a portable device we're working on called Project Q, and it, that's the working title. So they haven't announced what the title of the device is. They just showed like this like rendering, this concept rendering of what the, the handheld looks like, and said, this is, quote, let me just requote what they said, it's a dedicated device that enables you to stream any game from your PlayStation 5 console using remote play over Wi-Fi. According to Sony, the device is an 8-inch 1080p HD screen, and all the buttons and features of the DualSense wireless controller are built into it. So what it looks like is essentially the DualSense PS5 controller, 
but with a with a giant eight inch touchscreen slabbed in the middle of it. So like kind of like the like the Wii U or the Switch, kind of right. It's like controllers on the side, big screen in the middle, and. This is very interesting. The rumors are, and they didn't confirm it here, and we'll have to wait for more information, but the rumors are what this device is, is like a $100, $150 device. It's just a, it's just a PlayStation 5 controller with a screen in the middle and, a, and like a wireless card. And it will connect when you're, when you're somewhere with Wi-Fi, you know, airport, home, office, whatever, somewhere with Wi-Fi. You can connect to Wi-Fi, and this device will communicate with your PlayStation 5 that's at home and stream games from your PlayStation to this device. It's supposed to be really cheap. It's just supposed to be a companion device to help you play your PlayStation on the go, which I actually love the idea of this device. I love it. PlayStation obviously used to do handhelds, the Vita, the PSP, all that stuff. They got out of that market, unfortunately, even though those, de those devices were great. But um, this is basically the closest we're going to get back to it. And the thing I find so interesting about it, and the reason why we have to talk about it here is because... I think there's a lot of implication for what this means for Xbox. Think about it like this. We're seeing the advent of Steam Deck and devices like the ROG Ally come out and just be met with critical acclaim and mass adoption and just universal praise. People love it. These really powerful PC handheld tablet devices that connect to your Steam library and allow you to play powerful games anywhere you go. They're really expensive. They're really powerful. They're really heavy and bulky, but they're really cool. Then conversely, we see Nintendo, who kind of really kicked this off more than anyone with the Switch, which is this console-quality portable that you can make it a console at home where you can take it on the go and play great games anywhere you go. Obviously, just in pure execution and concept, the Switch, I think, is no doubt the most clean and attractive adaptation of this because the Steam Deck is an additional power PC aside from your powerful PC to play your powerful PC games on the go in a bulky, cumbersome, expensive device. This PlayStation device is a really affordable, slim, cheap option for you to be able to stream games from a device you already own back at home, but you're relying on a wireless streamed network that, you know, depending on your Wi-Fi quality and whatnot, your mileage may vary in terms of how good the device in the future works altogether. However, of course, Nintendo does this best with the Switch because even though, of course, the Switch is super underpowered and the games look like absolute dog shit, it's good enough. And especially when you're playing in handheld mode on, on Switch because Nintendo's so big on really compelling art styles over graphical fidelity. Nine at nine and ten times, especially if you're playing a Nintendo game and not a third-party game. Anything you play on the Switch looks great. Even though the, the, the console has the the computing power of a fucking potato. You know, you play the latest Mario game on your Switch. You play Mario Kart. You play fucking whatever. I, Zelda, I don't know. I haven't played the new one, but I can talk about the last one. It looks great, especially when you're in handheld mode. The game just looks fucking great. The console works seamlessly. You can dock it. You can play it in handheld mode. It's a really seamless, affordable, excellent device all around. I think, obviously, the Switch executes on this greatly, and it's it's the catalyst for why we're seeing things like this Steam Deck or this PlayStation Project Q device. But I can't help but see all of this stuff and look at what Xbox is doing and go, Xbox, if anyone needs to be making a device like this, I think it's you, brother. What the hell is going on? You're the one that's all about $15 a month, subscription service, play your games anywhere you want, stream your games all around the world, power in the hands of the players. You don't even need to buy our box. You can stream our games to a TV. You can stream our games to an iPad. You can stream your games to a phone. If anyone needs a device like this that's inspired by the Switch or the Steam Deck or is like a really affordable, basically, Xbox controller with a screen on it just so you can stream your games anywhere you go, it should be Xbox, not PlayStation. 
Because, yeah, PlayStation also has streaming and they have their own thing. And it's, it's good and it's a thing. But with Xbox, this is like initiative effort number one for them. It's like all about. I mean, think about it. You just lost the Activision deal in the UK because they're concerned about you being such a dominant player in the game streaming space. So, like, I feel like if anyone should be interested in making a device like this, it should be Xbox. And at the very least, you know, we know, we've seen Xbox be like, well, hey, we know PlayStation's getting into VR. That doesn't mean we're doing it, too. You know, we've seen, we know other people had handhelds. Doesn't mean we're doing it, too. But I got to think, with where Xbox's aspirations are today, now that they're a lot less focused on just a console and they're also focused on PC and cloud streaming, I got to think that if this Project Q device ends up taking off and being something of a hit for PlayStation, Microsoft Microsoft has to take notes and think about doing something like this, man. Because, again, I'll say it for the millionth time. I think it's awesome that, you know, I have a bunch of Android devices. I have a Microsoft Surface Duo that I can split in dual screen mode and play it like a Nintendo DS. Or I have a Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra that's awesome. It's a super powerful, slick device. I can stream my Xbox games to it, connect to controller, whatever I want to do. It's awesome that I can play my Xbox games anywhere I go on any of these Android devices I own or on my Surface or on my desktop, whatever. Or even on my Xbox, I can stream games. The fact of the matter is I don't want to do that because if I'm home, I'm only going to play games on my Xbox natively because that's the best way to experience them. And if I'm on the go, I don't want to play games on my phone because I don't want to drain my battery and pull myself away. Let me put it like this. I haven't talked about this on the on the podcast, but a couple months back, I finally caved and bought a Kindle. Actually, let me back up even further. I, I've had the... <laughs> A long, this is a long anecdote. So I've had the Microsoft Surface Duo since it came out in 2020. I love this device. I'm a huge fan of Surface. I'm always eager to see what crazy shit they're going to make uh, on, for the, from the Surface team for Xbox. Or sorry, what kind of crazy Microsoft devices the Surface team is going to come up with. So I have the Surface Duo, which for those who don't know, is the Microsoft Surface Android phone. That's a dual screen book style phone. It's really cool. And one of the things I love about it is with the Kindle app for Android, it splits the screen in half and basically makes using that phone feel like reading a book. You have one page on the left, one page on the right. Swipe to turn the next page. It's just like reading a book, but on your Android phone. It's phenomenal. It's my favorite phone I've ever read on. And I've always read on my, I've always used the Kindle app to read on my phone, whether it was on my iPhones back in the day or my Samsung or whatever. This Microsoft Surface Duo is the best device, the best phone ever made, in my opinion, for reading. However, I still found myself not reading as much as I wanted to using my phone because at the end of the day, I don't think a phone is the greatest place to read books. You're constantly pulled away by text messages, Reddit notifications, Twitter this, phone call that, battery, low battery indicator. Oh, I'm out today. I can't be wasting that much battery. Let me, let me put this away. Whatever the case may be. And it ended up just, even though the device was perfect and the form factor was perfect, I didn't want to read books on my Surface Duo even though the device was so ideal for doing so. So a few months ago, I actually finally caved and uh, Amazon was having a little sale on Kindles. And I was like, you know what? I've always been curious about Kindles. I don't see why you'd spend 150 bucks on a device that is so basic and can only read books and do literally nothing else when I can just have a really nice tech product like a smartphone that does all of that and more. But I finally decided to give it a go. I was like, I'll just return it if I hate it. And I bought a Kindle and my whole world has changed. Absolutely. I immediately, the amount of reading I've done the past few months has shot up exponentially. I love this Kindle. I love the way it feels in my hands. It's so light. It's so beautiful. The way the display is meant for just the perfect reading experience and nothing else. The fact that the device is so low tech and it's curated towards making it just 
so ideal for holding for long periods of time and reading a book. So you don't get eye strain because of the way the display is set. Your, your hand doesn't wear out from holding a heavy machine the whole day because it's so paper light. I love it. I absolutely adore my Kindle. It is my favorite way to read. Obviously, I, you know, you could, I would ask me earlier, I would have said a physical book is the best way to read. However, I like the convenience of reading on a phone, so I try to read on a phone. Nah, fuck that. No doubt, the Kindle is the best device I've ever used to read a book. I love it. I love it so much. So that's a really long, stupid anecdote, and I think you already know where I'm going, but now I'm gonna tr try and apply that to the streaming device that Sony has announced, because I feel like Xbox is kind of fucking up a little bit, because they're pushing so hard. You can connect an Xbox controller to your phone. You can buy a cool device like a Backbone, or one of those cool Razer Kishi devices, and snap it onto your Android phone. You can get a Surface Duo with the two screens and, and play that way. You can stream to your PC. That's all well and good. All of that is good. But I feel like what would really convince me to want to to want to stream Xbox games on the go a lot more than anything would be if there is a dedicated device that is purely meant for playing Xbox games on the go, whether it's streaming or running natively, I don't care, but a device that only is meant for playing my Xbox games on the go. I feel like that would compel me to stream or Xbox game on the go way more than the Game Pass app on Android or the Game Pass app on my Samsung TV or whatever the case may be. I truly believe that. And that's what this Project Q for PlayStation is. I think this will help in help drive PlayStation players to engage with streaming from their PS5 way more because having that device that is built around... You don't have to worry about your phone battery dying. You don't have to worry about playing a game on the go, pulling you away from the notifications on your phone because the device you're playing on is literally meant to play PlayStation and do nothing else. I love my Kindle. It feels great in the hands. It's meant for reading and reading only. And I don't feel like it pulls me away from if I get a phone call. I don't feel like if I'm reading on my Kindle, like when I'm reading on my Kindle app on my Android phone, and then I get a notification and then I'm like, ah, I'm pulled out of the reading experience. Now I'm doing this. No, because when I'm on my Kindle, all I can do with that damn thing is read a book. And it does it so effortlessly and perfectly. And I feel like that's what this device could be for Sony if they do it right. And I feel like Xbox needs to be looking at that as they're all gung-ho these days on streaming, 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 subscription services, Xbox, you know, putting Xbox content in the hands of people all around Asia and other parts of the world where maybe the Xbox physical console isn't as popular or historyed. Maybe we can get these people to subscribe to Game Pass and stream on their mobile devices. If that's your effort, I really think a device like this could really, really work for Xbox. But for some reason, your competitor that's a lot less interested in what you, you the, the kind of streaming future that you're going all, you know, gung-ho down the road on, for some reason, they're the ones making the device, not you. And I just feel like, what's up with that? Not to be contradictory, I know I, I've said before in, 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 the, in the conventional wisdom among Xbox fans is like, I would like to see Xbox focus a little more on the console and a little less on the streaming. But again, if, if, if the streaming is that big a deal to you guys, I really think you'd benefit greatly from having a device like this. I think it's pretty cool. I saw people ragging on it, but I, I think that's a lame take. I think this thing looks awesome. It's, it's literally just a really good PlayStation controller with a screen on it. No internals, so you keep the cost way down, and then it makes it super accessible and affordable for many, many, many people. And then you can stream your PlayStation games anywhere you go. That's great. That's so great. I think that's so, I don't know, I just think that's... I just think it's a really, really cool idea. So I would like to see Xbox explore this idea. Hopefully we see something in the future. And 
you know, as someone who doesn't own a PS5, I'm really excited to continue to watch from a distance and see what Project Q evolves into become, what its price point is, how people respond to it, how good it is or isn't. I think it looks really cool, really promising, and I, I totally dig what they're doing there. So that was the PlayStation event. Yes, I know we talked a lot about not Xbox, but it's all somehow Xbox related nonetheless. So we do have two other like smaller news stories I just want to real quickly run through. Uh, Windows Central, I guess they relayed it from Game Informer who got this from Tweaktown. So a couple sources removed. But there was a story this week uh, about how Square Enix, how their games keep ending up on PlayStation and not coming to Xbox. And so let me just read this from Windows Central. They wrote up, uh, an interview with Game Informer recently shed light on why a hotly anticipated action RPG game like Final Fantasy 16 is skipping Xbox. And sadly, unsurprisingly, according to Square Enix, PlayStation simply just offered a better acquisition deal than xbox did quote final fantasy is one of square enix's most important franchises and with dragon's quest dragon quest kingdom hearts uh, uh sorry right up there with dragon quest and kingdom hearts uh when we do begin development we do approach multiple platforms multiple companies about releasing the game and when you approach they're going to come back with different offers square enix also noted that the deal offers them a much high level um, platform support with playstation engineers to the implication that xbox does not Square Enix also emphasized the benefit of focusing optimization on a single platform. The firm also has previously confirmed that uh, via the PlayStation blog that the exclusivity for Final Fantasy 16 in particular runs through the remainder of the year with the PC version of the game planned for 2024. However, if it's anything like how Final Fantasy 7 Remake went, the game will come to PC eventually and then never to Xbox. And that is where my bet is firmly placed is that this game is never coming to Xbox. But who knows? Hopefully we'll be pleasantly surprised. I think Final Fantasy 16 actually looks kind of cool. But, uh, Man, this is this is kind of funny because I guess it puts the ball a little bit in Xbox's court where I guess what we're hearing here is Square Enix says we like to do this kind of... Uh, basically, I, the way I'm reading this is they're saying, listen, when, when you make the game for one platform, you can throw all your resources into it and then really make the game super polished and special and awesome. And PlayStation offers us a lot of engineers and a lot of support to help really make the game work best on PlayStation. And in addition to that, they, they pay more to get the game exclusive. Now, I find this somewhat to be bullshit because you look at a game like Final Fantasy XV and that game was multi-platform. It came out on Xbox One and PS4. So why can't a game like Final Fantasy XVI do the same? Why did they need an exclusivity deal? Why did they need Xbox and PlayStation to bid on who gets the game? Why did they need PlayStation to give them engineers to help the game run best on PlayStation? Why is any of that relevant? I feel like they're leaving out some key information, which if I, if I had to guess, it is that by default, these games are set to be multi-platform because if you're a publisher like Square Enix, it serves you best to put this game on as many platforms as possible because you put it in front of more consumers and therefore have more opportunity to make more money. So for the game to have ever been put in a position to be made console exclusive, I don't feel like it would be like Square Enix goes to Microsoft and PlayStation and goes... Huh, who wants to bid higher to get this game exclusive on their platform? I feel like it's more like these guys go to them. Maybe like Sony goes to to Square Enix and goes, 
hey, we want to make this new game uh, console exclusive. Can we work out a deal to pay you for exclusivity? And then Square Enix goes, hey, Microsoft, PlayStation offered us this much money and these kinds of benefits if we make the new Final Fantasy game exclusive to their platform. Um, are you willing to get in on this? Do you want to bid? Do you want to counter bid and see if you can do a better, you know, maybe a better better offer? And then play. And then Xbox goes, nah, we're good. And that's kind of how they're suggesting it goes. But I I think PlayStation approaches Square Enix, not Square Enix approaches the other guys and says, who, who's got the most money to throw around? Because if that's the case, then we got some Phil Spencer talking about both sides of his mouth situation going on where the guy's always talking about how he wants to get more and more presence in Japan. But if they've had the opportunity to get these games exclusive and they're not just sucking it up and paying what it costs and putting forth the engineers and the team necessary to help get this game optimized for and exclusively for Xbox, then what are we even doing? Because you, Can you imagine what a blow that would be to PlayStation? Because at the end of the day, if it's just a matter of a price, if, if it's what Square Enix is suggesting here and it's just a, a matter of a fucking price tag, then you could imagine Xbox could go, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, so yeah, obviously... Fewer Xbox gamers are interested in Final Fantasy than PlayStation gamers because PlayStation just has more of a history with those types of games and has more of a presence in Asian Asian countries where these games are bigger. However, Xbox, is, Xbox has an opportunity to basically go, we could pay a lot of money and get one of the most quintessential PlayStation experiences locked exclusively to our platform. If you're a good, if you're a good competitive player, if you're a good... Uh, enemy or antagonist or competitive force against PlayStation as Xbox, you would absolutely do that. You would absolutely try to snag Final Fantasy from PlayStation. Can you imagine what an absolute steal that would be? So the fact that they don't explore that or do that, and I know there's some people who are probably like, but Jesse, they did that with with uh, with uh, Bandai Namco back in the Xbox 360 days with, with not, not Eternal Sonata, but it was Tales of... God, which Tales game was it? The one with the fucking wolf in it. Tales of Vesperia. Oh, they did that with Tales of Vesperia back... Was it Vesperia? Yeah, whatever. Back in the early Xbox 360 days. And that didn't help Xbox at all. It just cost them money. I don't think it's the same. Square Enix, Final Fantasy, that's a different fucking playing field. If you got a Final Fantasy game exclusively for Xbox, fuck you, PlayStation, that would be a huge boon. Do you know how many fucking, like, sweaty oily-haired anime white boys wearing glasses, wearing cargo shorts, and being into furry content would be like, oh my god, I, I need to I need to ask my mom for an allowance upgrade so I, or, or perhaps even sell some of my Bitcoin inventory in order to uh, 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 combine that with the sale of my PlayStation 5 discless edition in order to purchase an Xbox Series S alongside Square Enix's hotly anticipated Final Fantasy 16. That is what would be happening. You would have those sweaty kids all over Xbox in the matter of fucking heartbeat. So I find this weird. I feel like there's some bullshit happening. Either Xbox is just dropping the ball hardcore like they did with Marvel when they could have potentially had the Marvel license to do first-party Marvel games that ultimately went to Insomniac and Sony, or the whole story is not being told here, which is that Sony approaches Square Enix, and that's my guess, is Sony approaches Square Enix and says, hey, Final Fantasy has a lot of history on PlayStation, it means a lot to our brand, to your brand, and what kind of deal can we work out to get this exclusive? Because that's a huge boon for PlayStation. PlayStation's big on trying to get third-party games exclusive onto their con onto their platform for a while. Xbox obviously tried a little bit with Tomb Raider, which was also Square Enix game back in the uh, 2015 time period of uh, of our of our world. But 
I, I don't know, man. I just kind of smell bullshit on this a little bit because I just, I find it hard to believe that Square Enix goes up to both of these parties and says, all right, who's the highest bidder? That's just, that, that doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. And then the final story, uh, and this can maybe be a quicker one, but from VGC, former Battlefield creative director Lars Gustafsson uh, has announced a, the formation of a new development team, TTK, or Time to Kill Games. Co-founded by four EA DICE veterans, the Stockholm, Sweden-based studio says it's secured significant funding, coupled with creative freedom, and is currently working on a next-gen online shooter. So basically, the creators of Battlefield are now going to start a new studio and work on some new online multiplayer FPS, which sounds fucking awesome. Uh, Time to Kill Game CEO, creative director, Gustavuson, uh worked at DICE for 22 years, and he was known as Mr. Battlefield, having helped shape the franchise from beginning till he departed last year amid the major studio shakeup. And that was when they put Ben Sampella and all these guys in front of... Um, in, for, in charge of the the Battlefield franchise going forward. They also got some other talent, um, people who worked at DICE, people who worked at Ubisoft um, for a long time, all, all on board. So they got some serious talent, some serious history veterans all together. And uh, basically what they're saying is, hey, we formed the studio. We want to make a next-gen immersive online FPS title, kind of like what we were doing Battlefield, but now on our own accord with our own funding and our own creative will. And basically, they're doing the thing Bungie was doing with Marathon, the thing that everyone's doing, which is, hey, we're a studio. Here's our name. Here's who we are. Here's what we want to work on. Please come apply for a job. We're hiring talent. So also, I mean, this this looks awesome. Uh, they, I, 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 we need more competition in the FPS space because we've got, you know, Crossfire actually just shot, shut down for good. And I'm thinking, like, we got Call of Duty. I love Call of Duty. We got Battlefield. Battlefield's a little bit of a mess right now, but Battlefield's generally pretty solid. I like Battlefield. Um, but there aren't a whole there aren't a whole lot of competitors in like this big traditional military multiplayer online shooter space. A lot of these franchises have kind of come and gone. Uh, you know, we don't see like Medal of Honor or Resistance or any of this kind of stuff anymore. SOCOM or Killzone or, or any of this stuff. It's kind of all a little bit dead. Even fucking if you want to get a little more sci-fi with it, something like Halo is is, is in some sense kind of dead. Or that there's a little more of a arena shooter arena shooter and less of like a twitchy kind of fps game but still you get the idea um it's just i i just feel like for such a big genre there's not enough diversity within it especially in like the triple triple a space um so i warmly welcome time to kill to the to the fold and hope that they're able to create something really special um you know especially since we're never gonna get that fucking titanfall 3 so uh, yeah absolutely this this has me hyped obviously we're gonna be many years out from really seeing anything from these guys but that it's pretty cool news nonetheless uh, that's going to do for all of our big news this week, guys. Let's real quick run through the important enough stu- stories, n- news important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to make their own discussions or warrant their own discussions. Um, I'm out of talking power, but let's go real quick. Callisto Protocol has an all-new Riot mode that just came out this week and a new update, so that looks pretty cool. It's kind of like a wave-based mode. VGC reports that CI Games have announced a new release date for Lords of the Fallen, published by a new trailer, which is available online. Confirmed last week, the game will release on October 13th for Xbox and PC. And is powered by Unreal Engine 5. Lords of the Fallen is a reboot of the Dark Fantasy action RPG game of the same name back in 2014. Next up, AEW Fight Forever will reportedly release in June. According to uh, Fightful Select, the official announcement is expected to release next week. AEW is expected to announce that the game will be releasing on June 27th, which will coincide with AEW and slash and the uh, uh, Forbidden Door 2. I'm done. Uh, next up, THQ Nordic will present Alone in the Dark Showcase later this week. The presentation will be held on May 25th, the day this podcast goes live, so we will miss it. We'll have to talk about it next week, but it will unveil new answers uh, regarding 
questions about the game. Remember, Alone in the Dark is a reboot of the classic horror franchise, and it's coming to Xbox and PC. Next up, VGC reports that Sega Europe has laid off 121 employees at Relic Entertainment. The Vancouver Canadian-based team specializes in RTS games, real-time strategy games, including Company of Heroes, Age of Empires, Xbox-related, and Homeworld series. In a statement, Relic and Sega said the studio will remain fully committed to supporting and investing the titles, according to uh, including Company of Heroes 3, which is not even released, or sorry, which was released in, on PC in February and is coming to consoles in just a few days. Finally, NetEase, of course, hearts go out to all the fucking people just laid off because Sega sucks. But anyway, next up, NetEase have announced its latest game studio opening, Bad Brain Games. So here's the story yet again. New studio announced, hey, we're hiring, that kind of thing. But it's uh, a NetEase-owned team. The studio, located in Toronto, Ontario, Montreal, Quebec, blah, 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 is developing an ambitious franchise based on a story-driven action adventure, according to NetEase. The game will be open world multi-platform experience built with the unreal engine 5 inspired by cult 1980s movies mixing elements of adventure and horror uh the studio is led by watchdogs legion and drives driver san francisco producer sean crooks and NetEase claims that's already recruited a team of veteran developers who previously wa- worked on watchdogs far cry driver san francisco trial of light just dance army of two splinter cell conviction and blacklist this is obviously a ubisoft x team Making a game for uh, another Chinese publisher throwing around a lot of money because who gives a shit, I guess. Fucking, we're, we're all just going to deny Taiwan a statehood pretty soon for a fucking dollar or two. All right, that's it for all of our news this week, you guys. Let's quickly jump into the comments shoutouts from YouTube. The podcast is going on a little long, so we'll we'll keep it rolling. But you know how it works. You head on over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast. That's at Xbox on podcast at YouTube.com. Click on the latest episode of the podcast. Why not subscribe while you're there? Leave a five-star review on podcast services if you can as well. It helps out a bunch. We really appreciate it. And by we, I mean me. And you can leave any comment you want. You can say something mean like, Jesse, you're dumb. PlayStation's for losers. The fact that you mentioned it so much means you're a pony. Bah, bah, bah. That's the sound a pony makes, not a sheep. I double-checked online. I promise you it's a pony, not a sheep. Or you can say something really nice like, Jesse... I don't know. I can't think of anything nice to say. Guys... We got eight comments to run through. Thank you all for writing in. But real quick, before I say that, remember for next week, we're talking about our predictions for the Xbox Showcase coming on June 11th. So if you want to write in your predictions, tell me what you think might happen, what games will be announced, what games will be dated, what games will be shown, what things Phil Spencer might say, who might be in attendance, what all might happen. Why don't you write in the comment? Let me know your predictions and we'll read them on next week's show. I'm looking forward to it. But our first comment this week comes from none other than... Mr. Maug writes in and says, man, all these companies switching over to $70 games is going to save me money in the long run because I'll just never buy games brand new. I'm excited that the PC handheld market is growing. And although I'm not going to buy an ROG ally uh, because the battery is too small for me, I'm definitely picking up a competitor handheld and I'm looking forward to handheld PC gaming. Yeah, I think the handheld PC gaming is really promising. I really just didn't believe in it when the Steam Deck was announced, and I'm so happy to be wrong. It's really cool to just see kind of like a whole new vertical of the market be carved in and, and, and just exist all of a sudden. I'm a huge fan of it, and I think it's really cool, and I, I want to champion its existence, even though personally I'm not buying any of these devices because they just don't make sense for me. Although, like I said earlier, if Xbox had like a Project Q type device, where it's like 100 bucks, 150 bucks. It's just an Xbox controller with a screen slapped in the middle and it just connects to Wi-Fi and lets you stream your Xbox games anywhere you go. I'd be pretty into that. You don't want to put a fucking GPU in it or anything. Just let me 
just a nice display with an Xbox controller that can connect to the internet. That's all I need. But uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. I think that that's a really cool idea. But uh, as for your thing about seventy dollars games, man, hey, agree to disagree. Respect to each other. You know, you spend what you guys spend. You, you do what your money what you gotta do. I respect that. Um, you know, obviously, if if you're the kind of person that can just wait for games to go on sale and not buy them at launch at full price, you're always gonna come out ahead because you're gonna get you're gonna save a lot of money on games. You're also going to get games well after they've inevitably been patched a hundred times because every game comes out half broken these days. And you're going to get the ability to not have to worry about taking big risks on a game that you don't know if you're going to love. And then if you don't like it, feeling so burned because you spent 70 bucks. So, hey, that's more power to you. And I respect it. And I think, honestly, maybe more people, including myself, need to exercise that kind of mentality a little more often. However, personally, I think $70 is more than acceptable for the price of a new game. Games cost so much money to develop uh game teams are so insanely massive and there's so many people stabbed at these at these developers um the you know the expectations in place for what a game should be in today's world especially because the majority of gamers are just absolute petty little asshole entitled bitches who are just like if it's not a 250 hour open world rpg it's bullshit you know it's like the fact that like everyone expects every fucking game to be skyrim or, or cyberpunk levels of content it's like some something's got to give at some point, man. Games games are going to be expensive. I mean, again, teach your own. I'm not trying to shit on you, Mr. Malk. Again, I, I respect it. In fact, I'm sure you know you could notice that I've said many, many times on the on the podcast, this game looks good. I'm not playing it day one. It's not seventy dollars to me. I'll wait for later on. But there are some games that I think are absolutely worth seventy dollars. For example, Lego 2K Drive came out the other day. I'm not paying seventy bucks for that. I will happily play play that game when it's thirty bucks because I don't think I'll probably play a whole lot of the game. But, you know, like, uh, I don't know. What's the last game I bought for $70? I don't know. Maybe, like, Modern Warfare 2 or something. 100% that game was worth 70 bucks. It was a really, really rock-solid six-hour campaign that I played twice. It's a really excellent multiplayer that I probably put 100 hours into. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed the hell out of it. It's, it. But it's not even about the time I put in. It's just I got more than $70 worth of appreciation and enjoyment out of that game. I think it was absolutely worth it. And I would have bought Starfield for 70 bucks or Starfield Redfall for 70 bucks. I, I enjoyed it enough that I wouldn't have felt burnt, but I wouldn't recommend that game at $70. That's a little bit of a weird one. I don't know. Starfield, Starfield's a game coming up soon that 100% I think is worth 70 bucks. But I, I understand, man, especially because the economy's getting tougher. Inflation's fucking killing us all. You can't go to the grocery store and pick up one night worth of dinner on the cheap for under 30 bucks. It's just fucking hard these days. So I get it. It's it's tough out there. Save your money. Also, just, you know, have some self-respect, I guess. And and don't just go blowing 70 bucks on every game just because you can. So I think it's, I think it's, a, it's, a, good, it's a good practice. But I, I just want to make sure that there's a distinction between, like, I personally don't think I need to be spending $70 on every game. That's a respectable take. Versus... Games should not be $70. They are not worth $70. I think that's a dangerous take. That's going to lead us down a bad road if we all adopt that kind of mentality because, my God, with the with the work and time and money that go into creating games, most most modern games, I think $70 bucks is, pretty, is pretty fair. Although, I do understand the criticism of, like, well, games come out broken more than ever these days, and they're also more expensive than they've ever been, or you know, or than they've been in recent history. So that's also fair, but whatever. <laughs> that's a different conversation. We all have to get into all that. But thank you for having me, Mr. Maug, and uh, I hope to hear maybe some of your predictions for the June 11th showcase. Let me know what you think.
I'm not pressuring you. I'm just making you look like a jackass if you don't write in. That's all. Jonathan, I'm not going to say your last name again because I fucked it up last week and it made me feel bad, wrote in and says, caught the podcast first time last week, appeared in my feed somehow, Google magic, no doubt, but enjoyed it last week and same this week, nice and chill conversation, no dumb fanboy bullshit or clickbait or annoyance or drama. And fun to see you in reading. Uh, sorry, and fun to see that you read the comments. And if you really want to persist in pronouncing an even for a Dutch standards uh, annoying last name, it's pronounced Hilkema. Hilkema. Sorry, Hilkema. Kima. Hilkima. There we go. <laughs> Hilkima. Jonathan Hilkima. So. Yeah, I still feel like I'm saying it wrong, so I'm sorry. But thank you for hanging in, Jonathan. You said, but you have my permission to just skip it and stick to the first name. For as long as reading comments stays tenable at all. It's really fun, though. So I guess the small audience has some perks for listeners. Yeah, I mean, like like I said, that's that's the magic of Xbox On. That's what I love about this show more than anything is, uh, is yeah, it's, it, it's small. It's, it's always fun when I see a new commenter like yourself. I really appreciate it so much. Trust me. Every time I get a new comment from someone I've never rec- you know, I've never seen the name before, it, it makes my day. It's awesome. It's like, wow, someone random that I've never met just took time out of their life, you know, out of their precious few moments in this godforsaken world to write in and say, like, hey, like the show. And that means the world to me, and I appreciate it. So, uh, I mean, honestly, reading the comments, engaging with you guys is it makes my podcast more entertaining for people to listen to. It makes overall the show more unique and enriching. And it's also a great, I mean, a great honor for me to have people listen to and support the show. So I, I appreciate it so much, man. Thank you. But, uh, but yeah, no, no fanboy BS in this place. We all know all three major console brands suck equally because PlayStation just remakes the same game over and over again and makes the same fucking dad, sad sim. And then Nintendo sucks because they just make the same, game over and over again and it sells 30 million copies and we've been playing the same goddamn mario kart for 60 dollars for the past decade and xbox sucks because it has no game so in reality there is no console wars all gaming sucks everything sucks the only thing that doesn't suck is i hear detroit style pizza is good i've never had it but that's about it thank you for writing in jonathan i'm just being sarcastic and goofy please don't take it seriously i love gaming please i'm a real gamer I'll get a tattoo just to prove it. Uh, thank you, but seriously, thank you for writing in, and let's let's move on to our next comment. Cronky, my brother Cronky, who writes in and uh, says, "Why is my name Cronky? It's on my birth certificate. Help, help, help! It hurts so much. High school was such a pain in the ass. People made so much fun of me. Cronky is a bad name. Why would you do that, mom?" Uh, no, he says, if there's a bright side to all all, uh, all the crying regarding Redfall, I think it guarantees that Starfield is coming out Q3, Q4 this year. The only reason to release it so buggy, quote unquote, is to distance itself uh, or to, to distance the two games so that they have big releases not too close together. I mean, yeah, that that was always the point, right? Is because they're trying to service Game Pass, they need content to keep people engaged and subscribe to the service. So that's that's always what it was about, right? Redfall, I think Redfall absolutely would have gotten delayed if this was like Xbox 360, Xbox One era Xbox where they're just trying to have good games to sell to people in exchange for $60 a pop on their console. I think Redfall would have gotten delayed and gotten polished up some more. But because of Game Pass where you, you got to have something coming out to keep people subscribed and to not lose your audience, they had to shit or get off the pot. Not only that, but also they don't want it releasing right next to, to Starfield later this year because you don't want anything distracting from a game as big and important as Starfield. So 100%, I, 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 I think that's why they released the way they did, and it's unfortunate, but 
I, I just don't want to see Game Pass become a, a crutch or an excuse to release unfinished products, but that's a different conversation we don't have to get into now. Mike Clark writes in again. Thank you for writing in, uh, Mike Clark. I appreciate you coming back. He says, love the show, not polluted with fanboys yet, lol, but wanted to say Nintendo is a games company and it shows. Like everyone else, I'm ready for Activision Blizzard King to be over. Was so funny reading fanboy comments and celebrating while most were busy play, uh, playing games like, oh, Tears of the Kingdom. Went carnivore diet. So these are three separate like comments. I'm just reading quick succession. So there's no coherency because I'm not stopping to talk about these things. Went carnivore diet last year, lost 70 pounds and, and A1C went 4.3 and A1C went 4.3 along with perfect cholesterol. Uh, I should probably know what A1C means, but I <laughs> I'm admitting I don't uh, went 4.3 along with perfect cholesterol. I eat bacon, steak, Chicken along with eggs every day couldn't be happier. Uh, you are a lucky fucking human being, Mike Clark, because that that sounds phenomenal. I, I tried I tried keto just for kicks, just because I, I was a coworker of mine. This was like in 2016. A coworker of mine was doing keto and he was bragging about it, and it was working for him. He lost a shit ton of weight. He looked great, and he was he was like going on 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 and on about how the weight this uh, how the diet works, and this is kind of like at the height of like the the keto craze back in like the mid 2010s, I'd say. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Just for kicks, let's try this diet out. Let's see how it goes. So I, I did, I did the keto diet. I want to say it was like just shy of seventy two hours. I did, I did the keto diet, and bro, that shit's got to work because I, I felt like I lost weight in seventy two hours. But also, I was the most miserable, cranky piece of shit ever. I could go to a Wendy's and get a fucking bacon cheeseburger with no bun, and it was apparently okay. It's like, as long as it didn't have sugar and carbs, I was good to go. And uh, it was great in certain moments like that, but oh my god, you're just always hungry, and there's never enough because you're so addicted to like the wheat, the carbs, the sugar. So I, I couldn't do it, but honestly, these days, my dieting plan is just... um calorie counting and just trying to avoid like obvious bad things. Like I can eat red meat, but obviously red meat's not terribly good for you. So I just try to mo mostly stick to like poultry and fish or like, I'm not going to eat stuff with, I'm, I'm going to try to avoid like processed foods, like potato chips as much as possible. Uh, I'm going to, you know, try to not eat desserts a lot. I'm going to try to eat more vegetable stuff like that. Reduce the amount of cooking oil I use. Um, be mindful of butter consumption, you know, stuff like that. So I, I, I'm just trying to do that shit. Don't eat trans fats. And, and basically it's working for me. I've kept off a lot of the weight I've lost. I feel better, but I, I gotta be honest, man. There, I, I don't have the body type. Like my body is just, I, I have a shit body. Like I'm, I'm super allergic. I have asthma. I got all the, the shit. My eyesight's not very great. I got all the stuff, man. I'm, I'm not, I'm, it's not going to end well for me, but I've noticed the more and more I go down this path of trying to be a little more health conscious and, and trying to like really keep bad eating to more of like a celebratory occasional thing and not like a normal thing. The more I realize it's like, my body really reacts to like to like red meat and to fatty food. Like, God, the other night we we cooked with ground beef for the first time in many months, and uh, after dinner I was like, I just feel like absolute death. I feel like shit. And you know, most nights I just eat like air fried chicken or grilled fish and veggies and stuff, and I feel phenomenal. Salad, I feel great. So like, I I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't I don't know how people do it. Maybe everyone else's body is like just built better, but like. I wish I could just eat more bacon or steak, but even if I eat bacon and steak and don't eat like bread to go with it or anything like that, I still just feel like absolute dog shit at the end. So you're a lucky man, Mike Clark. I want to be you. I want to be closer to you. I need to be, I need to become you. Please 
tell me how to be like you. Um, but yeah, yeah, fanboy, back to the other part, yes, fanboy stuff is stupid, I, I try not to be, I obviously have many criticisms of all the major gaming brands, I have major things I love, you know, there's a million reasons why I love and dislike PlayStation, there's a million reasons why I like and dislike Nintendo and Xbox, but uh, I, yeah, we, we all gotta work to, I, the way I think about it is always like this, and, and it isn't like, this is why I'm so perfect, this is my way of just saying, like, I think all Let's just keep in the realm of Xbox fans. It's an Xbox podcast. Xbox fans that have a bias towards Xbox, that's okay to have a preference or whatever. But don't, to go around with this notion that like PlayStation is shit or PlayStation's dumb. It's like, think about it like this. If Xbox just disappeared tomorrow, Satya Nadella gets out and says, hey, April Fool's, fuck you all. Xbox is dumb. We're getting out of the market. In fact, we're confiscating every Xbox console in existence. We're canceling the online network. It's done. It's over. Halo is dumb. Master Chief is gay. You know, like that comes out. All of that happens. Xbox is over tomorrow. What are you going to do? Are you never going to play video games again? Or are you going to go buy a PS5? Because I'm going to be 100% honest. I know PC gaming exists. And maybe a lot of people will try to be cool and be like, I'd go play PC. Okay, whatever. That's fine. I'm going to be honest. As someone who prefers console gaming and just likes playing with a controller in hand sitting on the couch in front of a TV. If Xbox comes out tomorrow and says, it's over, folks. Pack it up. Xbox is done. I'm immediately going to go out and buy a PS5 and Ghost of Tsushima, because I still haven't played that yet, and I'm going to go install that shit in my living room, and I'm going to go support PlayStation, because at the end of the day, I like X- I do like Xbox more than PlayStation. I prefer to play Xbox, but I like PlayStation. I acknowledge PlayStation's great, and I got to say, I'd rather a world where I can play PlayStation than a world where I cannot play home console video games at all. It's just, it's just stupid to have like an attitude as if one is objectively great and one is objectively dog shit. It's like... You can like one more than the other. You can have criticisms and little preferences about one brand over the other. Absolutely. That's why consumer choice exists. Is so you can find the option that best fits your preferences. That's that's great. But to like literally write one off as like, if you like PlayStation, you're an enemy of mine. It's like, that's fucking weird, man. That's 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 actually bullshit. That's actually stupid. That's that's very stupid. The only time I hate when people don't love the thing I love is when it's having an impact on whether the thing I love is going to continue to exist. You know, it's like I need you to order this menu on the this item on the menu at my favorite restaurant so they don't take it off the menu. I need you to buy a Windows phone so they don't cancel Windows phone. That's the only extent to which I care about it. I don't. Otherwise, I could give a flying fuck what console you play on or where you like to play your games and. I just encourage more people to have that attitude. If Xbox disappeared tomorrow, what would you rather do? Never play a video game again or go buy a PS5? Because I'm personally going out and running to Walmart and buying a PS5 in a fucking heartbeat if Xbox goes away. And don't get me wrong, you know, it can be like we X Windows phone users, you know, we're here on our Android devices saying, yeah, I use Android, but I miss, I, I miss Windows phone. That's fine. I'm sure there are plenty of people who are like, yeah, I play Xbox, but I miss Sega. Anyway, let's keep going because I said let's be let's be quick and succinct, and I'm just I'm just droning on about Windows Phone as I always do. Way of the Lao writes in. Way of the Lao, you may know him from uh, movies like Life of Pi or The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. But today he writes in just to just to leave his uh, his his comments, his feedback, and says, "Yo yo J Dizzle." I have a comment again because I have to comment again because Google cut my previous one. All I said was I was happy that your channel was doing well and that you were getting a house. Uh, well, yeah, the, the, yeah, thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, 
not too fast on the house thing. We gotta, we'll see. <laughs> and I'm sure that it's because you showed your P E I N S on the last video, on the last podcast. Yeah, that's, that's exactly why the, my audio only podcast, I showed my, uh, Let's be honest, the camera couldn't pick it up if I did. But anyway, congrats on everything, and I'm so happy for you. Also, in regards to people on PlayStation buying an Xbox just because good games come out only on Xbox, I bought my Nintendo Switch just to play Monster Hunter Rise. I mean, hey, that's that's what they call the killer app. It's a, it's a, it's a game so good that it makes you buy an entire it makes you buy into an entire platform and ecosystem just to have access to that one thing. Um, I mean. I, I'm on the I'm on the verge of buying a PS5 just to play Spider-Man 2. It's a, it's a fucking killer app for me. It looks that good, so there's no, there's no shame in that. We'll take care of my dude, and I hope still uh to I hope we still get to see amazing theme park and extravagant restaurant pictures on your social media once you get your house. Uh yeah yeah, I, I'm just trying to stay away from Twitter in general. I just I'm just trying to have a more healthy relationship with social media. That's that's the reason why I don't post as much, but. I, I'm conflicted, man. Let me let me just be honest with you, way of the law. I'm conflicted because it's arbitrary, it's silly, it's uh, it can be misconstrued. But I I just like when I eat a good meal to take a picture of it and just be like, I really appreciate plating, good food, restaurants, the art of culinary. I just want to share that, you know. It's not like look at this awesome restaurant I ate at. Aren't you so jealous? You know, like, oh, don't you wish you were here? Don't you wish you got to eat this? That's not how I mean it. But I like to post pictures on Instagram or Twitter or historically and be like, ate at this restaurant. Here's a picture of my food. This place is really awesome. Shout out to this restaurant. I like to do that. But I understand the internet and social media have such a negative societal impact that it it becomes a thing of like, maybe you feel good when you post it because it's like, oh, it's fun to share this with people. But a lot of people just read it as like, Oh, you're just you're just bragging because you got to go to this restaurant, or, or like you're just trying to show off your life to make it look like it's happier or more positive or better than it actually is. And I understand that because like I, I I can relate to that feeling where it's just like it's like if your life is so good, why do you have to constantly show pictures of how beautiful you look or how awesome your relationship's going or how awesome this you know this boating adventure you had this weekend was or how excellent your vacations are because you're going to your it's I, I get it it's like you can. Depending on your attitude, social media can be so toxic and be such a negative place. You can view it anyway. So that's why I just kind of stepped away and was like, you know what? I don't need to necessarily post a picture every time I eat a good meal or every time I go to Disney World and see something that I like. I don't need to necessarily post a picture. I still take the pictures because I like to have them for myself. I like to go through my camera roll. I actually regularly do. People always joke, when when do you look through all these pictures of your of your cat or of, of the food you eat? It's like, I actually do all the time. I love I love looking at the pictures of like, I caught this angle of the side of this building at Animal Kingdom the other day at Disney World, and I thought it looked beautiful, so I took a picture of it. Or, like, I ate this plate of food, and it was good, and I like to remember how good it was by taking a picture of it. So I, I actually do look at these pictures all the time, but the the point is I just, I'm just trying to remove myself from social media because it's like I get it. From an outsider's perspective or from a stranger's perspective, it's like why the hell is this guy like, hey, click on my Twitter profile. I host an Xbox podcast, and then you scroll through the feed, and it's just like my cat is cute. I ate a steak. My cat is cute. Xbox is fun. It's just like, I, I don't know. It's not really like additive. It's not, I, I, when the, e, when the EMPs go off and society is destroyed and, and China conquers the world and, and the American empire is crumbling to the ground. I don't want archeologists hundreds of years from now to go dig up these remnants of the 2020s 
and be like, ah, oh, here's a, a subject matter we studied. His name was Jesse DeRosa. And uh, as you can see in April, on April 12th, 2022, he had a fine chicken parmesan at uh, Mama Melrose Italian Restaurante at uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios theme park in Orlando, Florida. This is how the people used to express themselves. You know, it's just like, it's just weird. It's like, I don't know that that's necessarily how I want to like, preserve myself and remember and put myself out there for the world to enjoy is like oh yeah yeah the he he supersized every 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 mcdonald's entree he ever bought and and, and posted on instagram just to prove it i don't know so wait a while i hope you're doing well monster hunter rise rocks glad you love it and uh let's keep it let's keep it going Cronky comes back and says xbox doesn't get enough credit for visibility of indie games. I look at upcoming releases each week and it's good to see games that you don't hear about in the news. Picked up a random game I'd never have heard of and it called and it calls nobody sorry, it's called Nobody Lives Under the Lighthouse. And no regrets, it's an awesome game. No, that is cool. I think Xbox deserves a lot of credit for that. It's weird because I would actually say the the story of like where indies are best enjoyed kind of constantly rotates, from what I understand. Like there was a time in the PS3 era where apparently early ps4 ps3 era where apparently indies really loved working with and being on playstation apparently playstation is a terrible place for indies now they talk a lot of indie developers talk about how playstation like doesn't work with indies and, and it's hard to get your game on the, the front of the store page and get any kind of eyes on on your new product so apparently playstation was once good and is now bad i know during the early years of the switch apparently switch was a great place for indies because there are so few first party games and the way the switch storefront is kind of for better or for worse just so bare bones and so featureless it was always great for people to put their games out and be on like the new releases page because it's basically all there is when you open up the switch eShop. and so for a long time People were like, yeah, Switch is a great place for indie developers. But then Switch got so popular and there's so many games releasing that it became too competitive. And nowadays you hear a lot about how Xbox is a great platform for indies because Game Pass can help spotlight some good indies. And Xbox is pretty open to working with indies to help get their names out there and be a little more discoverable than the other places. Also, I think Xbox had a good reputation for indies back on the 360 days of Summer of Arcade. And kind of, in, in a lot of ways, Xbox 360 kind of kicked off the era of indie developed games as we know them to this day so but yeah they all they've all had like these peaks and valleys and moments where they've kind of been known for it i I would say but yeah i agree with you i think game pass highlights some good indies and then also it just seems like from from what people say at least i don't really know all that well that discoverability for smaller lesser known games seems to be a little easier on xbox than it is on other platforms although my understanding is it's not perfect or all that great on any of the platforms these days but yeah Good point. And then we got a couple roundout comments. You guys want to talk about Zelda. So I understand it's a huge game right now. So Adam Z's writes in and says, long live tears of the kingdom, not a good creative gaming, sorry, and a good creative gaming experience. Xbox, write notes and don't copy ideas. Just make a little effort. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, tears of the kingdom. I understand people are loving it. I'm even interested in it because I heard it has some like kind of traditional Zelda dungeons and that's really enticing to me. Kind of makes me want to give the game a go, but Nintendo does different stuff from Xbox. I will definitely say Nintendo has more of a very creative slant and more of a obsession with absolute pure, refined, polished gameplay. Uh, I wish Xbox would take notes on that sometimes, but I don't know, man. When I think about it, it's like maybe you can say they're a little uninspired or lazy, but nine times out of ten, I'd rather just chill out and play like a Gears of War or a Halo or something a little more mindless and fun and action and like B-movie goofy 
like good old time than something like Zelda where it's like, yeah, it's a really enriching good game. But like you really gotta be involved and like sit upright and like really rack, wrap your brain around like what you're doing in that in a game like that. Where I don't know, I do as I as I comfortably settle into adulthood. I gotta be honest. Here's my relationship with gaming now that I'm in my late twenties. I just like games that are easy to pick up, play, shut my brain off, have a good time. I think that's why I'm like so back into Call of Duty. There's something comforting and nostalgic about it, but it's also just like I have no questions or concerns about what I got to do when I play Call of Duty. I just know I got to pull the left trigger to aim and the right trigger to shoot. And sometimes I get the kill and sometimes I get killed. And that's that's Call of Duty. So I don't know, man. Like, I, I'm not saying games shouldn't strive to be more. Of course, you know, we, we love pushing the envelope. We love seeing new. But um, I, I, I don't know. I think about, like, the Xbox first party lineup and I'm just jonesing for some more Gears of War. Like, that's all I want right now. Like, Xbox has dropped the ball so hard on a million things, but... If, if the Coalition can just put together a really fucking awesome Gears 6, you know, that's like about as good as what we got with Gears 5, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be happy as, what's, I'll, I'll be happy as a kindergarten, as a kindergarten student uh, on the playground on Mother's Day. Classic, classic saying, you know, I don't know. I'll just, I'll just be super happy if we can just get some fucking more cover-based Gears of War shooty shooty games because that's that stuff's good but headhunting halo has the final comment adam z's thank you for ian i think i think you're right to some ex- some extent nintendo has so much prestige for what they do tears of the kingdom just like breath of the wild before it whether you like it or not is a game that absolutely captures everyone's attention sparks a conversation lights imaginations and pushes the industry forward in some way shape or form and you expect titles like that from your first party in-house console manufacturer top tier studios and xbox just seems to produce a lot less of that than some of the others do and i and i agree with that but you know one one thing xbox does so well that i would encourage maybe sony more so than any of them to take note of is just like hey sometimes you don't gotta have like an hbo drama style story sometimes you just gotta like really have a fun game and when i play like when you play like a peak xbox first party game you're like yeah this is fucking fun Maybe, maybe not crying, but you're having fun. And that's worth something. Headhunting Halo has the final comment of the week and says, Tears of the Kingdom, amazing game. But you know what else is amazing? Ravenlock. You really need to check it out on Game Pass. It's so good. Probably my favorite title. Indie title, hands down. I even went back and cleaned up the achievements. 100% done. Wife made me seasoned beef tips, and damn, they were delicious. Do you think there is another double battle pass progression before Season 3 ends in Modern Warfare 2? I got three blocks left, but damn, it takes so long. Okay, let me go through this. Ravenlock, as I said last week, I have it downloaded. I want to give it a try. I was going to try it this week, but then that Call of Duty sale happened, and I got uh, Infinite Warfare, and I played Zombies with my girlfriend instead of playing Ravenlock. So I will get to it. I promise you. I'm interested to check it out. It will happen. And I'll report back when I do play it. Thank you, Headhunting Halo. Um, as for the beef tri-tips, that sounds very good. I'll, well, hang on. I'm glad you liked Ravenlock. I'm glad you enjoyed it so much. 100% gamer score. It's always a rewarding feeling when you like a game so much that it makes you want to do that. Beef tri-tips, I want them. Please and thank you. If I send you $17 US, can you have? Can you and your wife mail me back? You said, yeah, wife made you seasoned beef tips. Can you and your wife mail me back? A couple seasoned beef tips in exchange for 17 US dollars, please. I will give you postage and everything. 
Um, and then finally, I, I don't know if there'll be another, I think there will probably be another double XP type event at the, in the final days of season three. I think they did that for season two and one as well, if I'm not mistaken, but I gotta be honest, man, I have, I, I'm not paying attention. I tried to pay attention to the battle pass a little bit during season one, but I just completely tuned out for seasons two and three on the battle pass. I like modern warfare two a lot. I don't know why people are shitting on this game. I think modern warfare two 2022, like this new call of duty. I think this is one of the best Call of Duties in the history of the franchise, not even just in recent history. I think it's just a fucking awesome game. But I, I gotta be completely honest with you, I hate the way they do the battle pass in this game. The fucking block, choose your own adventure style battle pass, and the progression feels so much slower, and like you get so much less free shit in this one. I, I hate the battle pass in Modern Warfare 2. I, I absolutely avoid it like the plague. I just don't even care. I don't even redeem my coins or tokens or whatever. I just fucking forget about it. And, and I'm grinding camos on this gun on, on this game. I'm trying to get some of these like seasonal event camos and I'm, I'm grinding towards, you know, trying to get platinum and stuff on some of these guns. Like I'm doing it, but the battle pass fuck out of here. So head hunting halo. I hope you're able to get your, your battle pass completed. And thank you all for writing in. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox on podcast. Appreciate your support. Thank you for listening. Thank you all so much for making this show worth doing. Uh, I always want to say it's like this, this podcast, you know, cause the podcasts and, and, and YouTube channels are always like, I could not do it without you. That's actually not true with Xbox on because this podcast is not monetized. I do not make money off of it. I do not make a living off what I do here. So I absolutely could do this pot. Let me make this abundantly clear. And I appreciate you all. And that's what I'm getting at. I absolutely could do this podcast without every single one of you, but it would not be worth doing it. It would suck. It would really be like not a fun time. It would be an absolute chore. So thank you all so much for listening and supporting the show. You make this show worth doing and you, you're you the reason why I continue to do it. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I want to make that distinction. I just always hate hearing uh, this 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 channel, this show could not be done without you. I mean, I get, I get it. It's like if you, for people who do monetize it's like you wouldn't you wouldn't waste your career efforts on something that anyway i don't know why i'm getting bogged down on that it's just it's just a wording thing that sometimes like i'm i just it catches my ear and it makes me think but anyway you're all beautiful except the, those of you that aren't beautiful and you know who you are so don't make me point you out but the ones of you that are beautiful you are very beautiful and i love you each and every one of you and remember for next week if you want to participate write in with your predictions for what's going to happen at the Xbox Game Showcase on June 11th. I'm very excited to get into all those predictions as well as my own. And then we'll talk about it next week. It'll be a grand old time. But until then, thank you for listening. Have a great week. Eat delicious food. Play fun games. Take care of... If, if you have yards, please mow your grass. And if you have cats, please feed them treats and pet them a lot because cats are awesome and they deserve so many pets. They are very good pets. Um, yeah, and until next week, uh, power your dreams, ponies, and uh, Xbox.